You've tuned in to another episode of the Adeptus Terror podcast, hosted by Sam, Matt, and Neil. Put your feet up and enjoy. And welcome to episode 74 of the Adeptus Terror podcast, Fetish Aliens of the Grim Dark. Uh, Matt is with me. Say hello, Matthew. Hello. And then uh, we, we have the minority representative, Neil, here. Hello, Neil. Hi, Neil. <laughs> Um, and the reason Neil's here is because we're talking about fetishes, uh, and we know Neil was a big <laughs> fetish. Sure he was here. Yeah, no, Neil was Neil was not a fetish. Fet- yeah, fetishist? Um, is that a word? Fet- no, fetishist? No, no king shaming on our podcast. Well, not king shaming. Anyone could be into anything they like. Uh, but anyway, even this podcast, even this podcast, if they <laughs> they want to. Uh, so this is episode seventy four, um, and as the as the name sort of suggests, we're going to be talking about the Dark Elder, uh, which is quite cool. Uh, looking forward to that. Doing all the research was pretty good. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to quickly go into the the house cleaning. That's not it, is it? The the house grooming, spring cleaning, house notes. No, a little bit of admin. Admin, <laughs> yeah. We're going to do oh, admin. How I dislike admin work. <laughs> yeah. And and Matt's going to run us through the admin. So go ahead, Matt. Cool. Uh, so um, we just had our last hangout, which was really fun. Um, I hosted that on day after my birthday. So thanks for all that came and celebrated with me and just had fun. Um, I was building a predator tank, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Sam jumped on as well. And there was quite a few of us, as always, a lot of the normal faces. Did anyone jump in for the first time, that one? don't think there was anyone new. Uh, but there's always space, um, and we do them every month. And our next one is November the 29th. Um, now, these are held on Facebook, and we do it through Facebook Rooms because we're not limited on number. Um, and you just need to go to the um, safe room, the community safe room, which I believe is facebook.com forward slash T-A-T-P safe room. I believe that is the correct link. And you can go there, join the group. Uh, it's a really good, positive group. We set it up quite a while ago now just to be a good, positive place on the internet for hobbyists and uh, i think we live up to that and we do these every month through through that group page so uh, yeah come be a part of something cool and come and join us on november the 29th uh, what is it half seven till half ten i believe someone uh make... yes half half cool. seven till half ten uh, i created the event this morning um and and facebook now uh, has integrated um the rooms straight into the event Um, so I believe at that time, anyone can just join and it will start. Um, so if if you get to 7.30 uh, on the 29th of November, then just kick it off and, and I will be there. I'm hosting. Um, I I did send the invite to everyone. um, Yeah, I did get it. But Facebook is a bit weird (laughs) when it does stuff like that. So if you didn't get invited, it's not because we hate you probably. Um, so just head over to the TATPSR and then you can uh you can you can join the event there and you'll get notified when it when it all kicks off and hopefully it works out yeah good yeah. fun three, three hours of just hobbying and chatting and some people come on and just hang out 
other people come on and paint uh, something they've been painting over the last few months, specifically on the Hangouts or just in between. Mm. Um, and uh, me and Sam procrastinate and pretend to do hobby. Yeah, I think this is like the ninth month in a row that Mike Parker's been painting his Battle Cabbage. It is indeed. It's but it time. is looking amazing. He was, he was hand-painting wood grain on the base uh, of the last Hangout. I literally have zero time for that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Um, the next bit is the 2020 V challenge, uh, still ongoing, going strong. Um, I need to update the document of people who have completed for this month. Um, technically it's still the 31st on recording. So there might be someone uh, by the end of today who just sneaks in. Um, even now, if you haven't heard of or want to be a part of the 2020 V challenge, that is amazing. Come and join us and submit your entries and get still potentially November and December entries for our grand prizes. Um, all the information, I believe, is on our event pack, which is in the community safe room itself, on our podcast page on Facebook, and in our bio on Instagram. So plenty of places to find all the information. Come check it out. Basically paint a new unit uh, on that month, and um, you follow the rules of how to post it on our Facebook um, or Instagram, and it will count as an entry. You get one ticket entry every month, and at the end of the year, we will draw some winners and give away three awesome prizes. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, sh- should we share what the prizes are? We probably should. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember, Sam? Do I remember? Uh, there is from Wooden Spoon Wargaming. Uh, there is a get started or get collecting or get buying plastic crack box from GW. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a £50 gift voucher from Exit 23. Yep. Um, Exit 23, a great supporter of the show. And they just actually brought out a, a new line of paints from um, Turbo Dork. Turbo Dork. Uh, they've just got Turbo Dork just put out new paints and they're now stocking them already so if you want to go check those out head over to their website um, the link will be in the description of this uh, podcast show notes and then finally some would say the top prize uh, others might not um, <laughs> The you get one ticket to attend the Adeptus Terror Podcast Horus Heresy event, the first one that we've ever done. Now, it yes, is scheduled it is. to be next year. Uh, however, yeah, I mean, currently we haven't even been able to go and look at venues um, because of how tight the lockdown's been, especially in our area. Yep. Um, uh, so no one's really, and even if we can go see the venues, they won't let us pencil in dates, understandably so, because they have no idea if they're going to be open and be able to honor those dates. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, the prize will always be a ticket to it and it will cover all the costs that are involved and the pack goes into details on that, so I won't go through that yet. Maybe when we end the challenge, we'll go a bit deeper into exactly what you get. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we'll have some information by the end of the year. If not, it will be a ticket to the event that as soon as we know when it's happening, so will you. Exactly, <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. exactly. We wanted it to obviously be much more ironed in by now but hey 2020 yeah 2020 sucks yeah it's not been fun um lastly a bit of admin for this episode um so we don't have a final segment uh this episode i'm afraid 
Um, very sad. Uh, just things haven't come together. Um, there's been lots going on uh, for each of us this month. Um, we might talk about that as the show progresses. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so we wanted to get something out to you. So we'll still be doing news from Terra, uh, still go through the Warp Storm poll, and we have our spotlight. And then we'll kind of wrap up the show. So yeah, no final segment this month, but hopefully you'll still enjoy this episode and what goes out. And it'll still be a, a lengthy morsel for you to devour. Cool. Uh, it will be. It news will from be, Terra. Yeah. News from Terra. Uh, well, as ever, let's start with Neil. Yep. How do we start this segment again? Nah, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all good. So, um, Sprue Corner. Do you know what makes that a great joke is the fact that I have no idea if you actually uh, meant that or not. <laughs> Neil did not You'll mean to... Neil is an You'll established to... hobbyist. You'll have to wonder about that one, Matt. And careful of the camera, Sam. I, I just punched my laptop. It was an accident. <laughs> I've got so much. I've got so much stuff around me that there's just no. Yeah. Anyway, so Sprue Corner. Indeed. News from Terror. So in News from Terror, we talk about how amazing uh, our hobby progress is over that month. Uh, <laughs> we cover Sprue Corner, which is what we built over the last month. So normally about kit bashes, building processes, comments on the kits we've been putting together. Um, we then move on to the painting table, where we learn how much we may or may not have painted this month. And then finally, we move over on to playing the game, um, which 2020. Um, yeah, so sadly, so that's been a bit lackluster this year, but not not from trying. Not from trying. So, Neil, if you want to take us away with Sprue Corner, what have you been building this month? Well, thank you, Sam, for reinforming me of each of the different topics that we cover in Terra Talks. I live to please. Who's from Terra? Let's get well, it right. Done. I was going to say, Terra Talks is the final segment, which yes. highlighted again isn't happening this episode. So, so yes, we're going to try this one. We're going to try this one again. Thank you for reminding me of the subjects we cover in News from Terra, Sam. Excellent. Right. So this month I have not really achieved any building at all. Um, it's been a very hectic month due to birthdays, uh, work schedules, um, the like. So unfortunately, I haven't actually been able to achieve any building um, of anything, unfortunately, which is a shame. Um, so yeah, that's me for Sprue Corner. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, you were just chatting before we went on how many hours you've been doing. It's insane. So you, deserve, you deserve a bit of a rest when you're not at work. <laughs> Indeed. Matt, what have you yeah. done? Uh, so I've done, uh, out of all the different subjects, uh, this is the one where I've done the most. Um, so it feels good, but really it's because of the last few days. Um, so um, like Neil, it's been a bit of a, a rough month. Uh, I, I've also had a birthday in this month, um, but which is, is a good thing. Um, but also it's just been really tough. Um, Jenny's been signed off work this month um, with mental health stuff. So she's been kind of dealing with that and we've been journeying together with that. And obviously two young kids hasn't helped in that transition, I don't think, particularly well. So, yeah, it's been a bit rough for the last four weeks um, and work continues to be a plague just because everything's difficult right now in COVID era of life. But building is always something that I find really enjoyable and helps me de-stress. Um, I know lots of people don't find that with building kits, but for me, it's like the thing that I find easiest to do. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I finished my flamers for my solar auxilia allies. Uh, so that's a 10 man flamer section. Uh, massive thanks to Chris Collins on that. Uh, he sent me the last three flamers that I needed. Um, so I needed the scion ones. So I'm using Tempesta scions that I already had to work as solar auxilia to you know, save my wallet. Um, and he graciously heard, I think, on last episode that I needed two or three and sent them to me. So I was very happy to uh, receive those and very gracious of him to send them to me. I need a Storm Eagle, if anyone has one laying around. This is your problem, Sam. You, you throw out too big. Oh, I need a Storm Bird? Go That's big or go big. home. Um, so, yes, thanks, Chris, for that. Um, I also built two Predator tanks. Um, I got these for my birthday, which I'm really happy about. Um, I actually quite enjoyed building the kits. They're very simple. They go together really easily, even the tracks, which I remember last time I did kind of Rhino Rush list, which, hey, back in 5th edition probably, um, and having to build like 5 or 6 Rhinos was like hell. But doing a couple of Predators was quite fun. I think if I went into doing any more, I might have got a bit bored of just doing the same thing again and again and again. But yeah, that was quite fun, just easy to do. I did one during the uh, Hangout, uh, which was nice to just chat to people. You know, didn't really need to think about putting the Predator together because it really just can't get it wrong other than making sure you're putting the right tracks on the right side and the left tracks on the left side. Everything else is quite simple. Um, so, yeah, they were fun to build. Um, and the other thing is that I've reset up my gaming table in our kind of utilities conservatory at home. Um, so, yeah, we've got an old conservatory that's kind of, you know, like half brickwork with some windows rather than like the kind of newer all plastic white stuff. Um, and we just use it for our freezers in there and we have our dining room table in there at one end because we don't eat that often at the dining room uh, table because most of the time I'm either at work or the boys are at nursery or school and we're eating at all different times and stuff. Uh, but yeah, so um, we rearranged that room so that I could set up the gaming table in there because Jenny's parents have bought Caleb a train set for his uh, for Christmas. See, I like this. Um, I like how you turned it from Caleb's got a train set into I need my wargaming table up again. Yeah, exactly. Well, so this train set is uh, Jenny's dad does trains in a big way. Like, like he's, he's been nuts. In, yeah, he's been in the Hornby magazine and he's, he's a legit hobbyist in that. Mm. Um, actually, we're going to do some cool bonding soon, I think, in the new year. Um, he's going to use my airbrush for the first time. Oh, cool. Um, so, I mean, so you got- need to learn how to use your airbrush. Uh, I need to remind myself how to use my airbrush. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, that'll be really fun to do and uh, show him a new skill. Um, but yeah, he's you know got some mad stuff that he's been working on for years. And um, he's bought this kind of Thomas train set. So it's like base level, kid level, but it's proper clip together track and remote control and all that stuff. And it's like five foot by three foot, all Jeez. the track laid out. And the, t- the table is a six by four. So it's perfect for it. Um, so I was like, well, look, we were going to set it up in the garage, but if we set it up inside, it can be warmer and we can keep Caleb's train track on it because he'll probably play with that more often. And then whenever I've got a game scheduled in, I can pack pack it away quick, put the board out, play the game, put the board away and then set up his train track again uh, when he next wants to play with it. And Jenny was like, that's a great idea. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. And now I have a gaming table back in my house. 
So yeah, I lost it when the second one came along. So uh, I've gained it back in a clever way. More ha ha ha. But yeah, so that was cool to set that up. So yes, yeah, Sam, I think you need to round us off on Sprue Corner, and then uh, we can move into painting. So I'm uh, I haven't really. So I, I built the twenty assault marines that I that I bought like in September, because um, originally they were all like piecemeal, uh, piecemeal built. So I built the I actually put them together because I've nearly finished them now. Um, so that's quite exciting. Um, they're done. Cool. So and I'm also, uh, I'm I'm still halfway through converting uh, two counts as javelins. Because yeah. I really hate, never really hate. That sounds quite quite strong. I quite dislike the the look of the javelins. Um, which actually, surprisingly, a few people have said that, and then was like, "Oh, when you see them, they're fine." Um, yeah. But but I I don't I don't want to spend like sixty two pounds per model to see if it grows on me. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, Joe, I I remember thinking exactly the same thing. They came out, and I went, "Oh, a floating seventies Batmobile, even sixties." Well, it looks like that... the speeder from um from Star Wars. Like uh, the... yeah, yeah, like one of those as yeah. well. Yeah, that's not a bad shot. You, I can't hear. You. There's nothing wrong with the speeder from Star Wars. No, no, I'm not saying there is, but I just part of me, and it's probably as well that it's sixty-two pounds. Yeah, for, for one model, <laughs> like one yeah. floating missile turret. Like it's, yeah, there's like two two hole points and armor ten all round and gonna blow up within ten minutes. Ex- yep, exactly. So yeah. I, I partly that, and also I don't really like them. Um, so I managed to get hold of two. There's four in my new list, which we'll go on to a bit later. So I managed to get hold of two. So they're in the process of being put together and converted at the moment. Um, and I'm stealing Matt's conversion idea where on the normal javelins, for those that don't know, they have like two engines, vertical rather than horizontal. And whilst I can't do that above them, they've got a single fin. Uh, kind of like a shark. Um, so mine are having that and then having missile pods on the side and then the gunner is going to be firing a, a multi-melter on all of them. Um, oh, Matt's now showing a photo to me. Uh, yeah, I know what they look like. <laughs> what I might do though, oh, part of me wants um, to put on... Neil. Mm-hmm. Part of me really wants to put on the, the front plates, which you haven't. Um, and I can see why you wouldn't because actually they're very 40k and actually they're very probably doesn't help very much um to kind of give that differentiation between the two so uh they're kind of they're kind of they're, they're cleaned they're cut off of the they've been clipped off and they're being built at the moment um nice. I'm, I'm i'm i need two more but i got these like super good deal for like 30 quid for two nice um so that was pretty fun uh again a minute... spent less than one javelin <laughs> and that's it like even if i went and bought if I bought two from, if I bought two from, um, I always get the name wrong. What's the gaming shop I always used to go to in London? Oh, Darksphere. Darksphere. If I bought two from Darksphere, they're like, I think 18, no, 22 pounds. Something like that, maybe. Um, the, the discounted price, anyway, whatever. They're like 18 quid, something like that. Um, so if I bought two from there, I think I could probably get all four just over one um and who knows who knows further down the line 
if I if I want to get them, if I want to get them, I'll, I'll just pick up actual javelins if I see them in the flesh and go, you know what, I really want some Corvette. Um, so who knows? But at the moment, I think to get myself to an actual functioning list quickly, I, I need I need to do it this way. And also, I don't really like them. Um, but that's kind of what I've been building. Uh, those as well as the the Marines um, haven't really done much else in terms of building. I've done quite a bit of painting this month, but not not building. Nice. But leading on to painting, uh, I'll talk about my painting now because I'm talking. So um, I've painted up the 20-man assault squad, uh, which actually is going to be formed into two, into three 15-man um, jump squad. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, assault squads. Um, but anyway, I've painted up the 20-man assault squad. Uh, the only thing I need to do is I need to paint the new axes that Simon gave me. Um, he printed them for me. Yeah, they're... They're quite cool, very Blood Angel looking, but not ones you can get from boxes. Um, so they're quite cool. Uh, so they need to be painted up, need to be base coating them, um, and they need to be painted up and then added to the models. Um, I've just got guys standing there with no hands at the moment, so they look a bit stumpy. Um, and then I need to finish the jump packs, uh, the jet packs, sorry. No, jump packs. They are jump packs, not jet packs. Um, jump packs. Um, what I was doing before is spraying on um a a white and then a blue in the middle to kind of give that flamey effect on them um so but i do that last just because there's a little bit of overspray goes onto the model um so that kind of adds to the tying it all in and, and stuff which is quite cool uh and my last thing i painted this month is simon also printed me a radar dish for my rhino to turn into a commander rhino um so that's all sprayed silver i had a can of silver um and i need to do some washing on that to kind of tie it in a bit more but it's a very it's it's a very functional dish like it's a very functional change um the the roof hatch on the rhino that i've got doesn't come out so i'm just gonna stick right. the radio on top of it and just leave it on top um i don't think it's that much of a difference like someone i was someone was saying about oh you should like cut out the old the old doors on the rhino and then be able to put the um the razorback turrets. It will fit in a razorback turret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put that on and make it detachable. But I've got a transfer on there and I don't really want to have to cut out the doors, mess up the paint job. It's already painted. And this is literally I'm literally thinking about just putting some blue tack on it and just sticking it to the top because it the disc on the the um radar dish actually covers the blood angel drip that's on there already really well. So you won't even notice it's there. So I'm just going to do that because it's cheap and nasty and, again, gets me gaming. Fair yeah. Enough. Is that so that you can keep it as a normal Rhino and as well as a command? Yeah. And then hopefully, if it, if it takes off and I really like it, I might buy another Rhino. I actually quite like the one you can get from uh, games, uh, some from from Warhammer World. You know they do one? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, they they um they do they do a command rhino that's like a Warhammer World exclusive kit, I think. Does yeah. it come with a Land Raider though? Land Raider and a, a rhino. Um, um, but what do. what I was thinking I'll do is um is use the rhino kit and just turn that into a rhino for thirty k. And if it works out, if I need another rhino, it might make sense just to buy that kit all at once and. And just do that and and get it and because I, I quite like the way it looks and stuff so yeah um yeah no it does look cool I, if if it was a single kit I would have bought one of them for my command rhino 
Yeah. It was the fact that it came with the Land Raider, which I was like, I have no need for that. Um, yeah. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing because then I could have used that Land Raider in my um, Ultramarine army. But, mm. yeah, didn't know I was doing that one at the time. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's the Space Marine uh, HQ command tanks. Uh, and it comes with, like, a full-on... Like, it's pretty full-on. It's quite cool looking. Um, mm. Like, and, and a rhino's a rhino, right? And I can always just put the, the Land Raider into a, a, maybe a Phobos pattern one and do some building there. But it looks quite cool. I really like it. And it's got like three or four radar dishes on it. It's proper built up. So, yeah, maybe, but not right now. I'm, I'm not, I don't want it that much. Yeah, the, uh, that works, especially as you're trying it out, right? Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily even a permanent fixture in a list. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if it works, probably I'll end up buying one. I know there's obviously the Democles Command Rhino on Forge World, um, yes. but again, it's quite a yeah, lot. I of think money. I, I used a regular Rhino and then bought it was either Cromlech or Spellcrow. Yeah. Did a radar dish, so I bought that. Yeah, yeah, it's fifty eight pounds from uh, from from Forge World for a Rhino. So yes, it's almost like the heresy tax, right? So yep. It's yeah, <laughs> but that's what I've been. That's what I've been painting. Uh, painting up the radar dish and nice little tangent segue there. So that's fun. Um, but Matt, tell us what you've been painting. Uh, yeah, so I haven't done hardly any painting uh, this this month for the main reason of you know some of the stuff I talked about earlier. It's uh, been tough at work as well as at home and uh, priorities and little plastic men haven't taken that much. Um, so, yeah, I did a little bit more on the Assault Squad. I really wanted to get them done this month. I think last, the end of last episode, I said I'm going to get those done. Um, but then October turned out the way it has. So, uh, yeah, a little bit more on each guy. Make sure that I'm happy with the level of weathering. So I started very light because I was really happy with the paint job underneath. Um, and then I've built up. So they kind of match the army but aren't as heavily um weathered as as the uh foot units um which works because they can be arriving and they're fresher from you know uh less battling or they're you know uh straight off the ship kind of idea um so yeah i'm I'm happy with the way they look amongst all the other units now um and then i just put the base uh skin layers on the sergeant who i use the night raptor model from forge world so he has like skulls and bones and flesh kind of hanging off him that he's skinned off of his victims um so i've been uh yeah just getting those base layered so just i think uh what flesh is it um reichland flesh i think it is um uh games workshop flesh color i just laid that down on all the kind of tabards of skin and the bits of skin that are hanging off this guy uh, but yeah that's me for painting fair enough neil Tell us your painting woes. Painting woes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been experimenting with different washes on uh, Vallejo Dark Earth texture paint to see what kind of effects I can get before I lay down some foam flock on things. Um, I've kind of decided to go with a green over the top of it to give it a more of a... Uh, it kind of looks like a mossy kind of feel to it, but that's going to be covered up once the different coloured flocks go on top of it a bit more. Um, so um, you're not going to be able to tell very well from this 
webcam. No, you can't, you can't see it at all. So there's no point in me showing you that. <laughs> take pictures, and I will send them to you later. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I'm trying to yeah. I want to try and find something where I can get like a a, a foresty kind of wooded grassy effect for a potential future table. Um, and then I also watched a video earlier of um, somebody doing a large base where they'd put a couple of stacks of uh, thin sheets of cork, then painted a ghrelin earth um, over it or whatever it is, the mud, the, the crackle paint stuff. Over yeah, the top yeah, yeah. And then proceeded to spray it with an orange paint and just do lots of fancy things with it and looked really good for a, potentially a kind of Geonosis Mars type base feel um, for potential future things as well. But yeah, nothing majorly exciting, just experimenting with washes. Yeah, that's kind of cool though. Like, is that to get your final desired effect for the uh, Star Wars dudes? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're going to all be based on that. And they're going to look awesome when they finally get finished. <laughs> um, As all your things do now. Oh, uh, that's that's debatable, but um, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Likewise, we'll get there eventually with that Riptide that I've been working on for forever. <laughs> yeah, that'll be cool to see. That's in the uh, kind of tradition towel colours, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. That's going to be cool to see. Oh, right. Games. Indeed. You guys um, go I was first. really hoping... Go you guys go first. Yeah, I think so... that's probably for the best. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I was really hoping to get a game in, especially towards the end of this month, but then we went into... We've got a tier level system currently, um, which could be changing imminently. Um, but, yeah, it just meant that... Um, haven't been able to get a game in because suddenly we can't meet up in inside anymore. And uh, uh, I suppose we potentially could have gone to a store and played with masks and well, stuff. I don't know. Um, GW aren't open for games in our area, and I don't think Wayland are either. No, that's what I thought as well. Um, so yeah, it's been been really tough to get a game in this month. I really wanted a one. Uh, I was hoping that maybe me and Sam could have played a second like Blood Angel, Night Lord, Narrative, uh, ZM. Uh, that would have been really fun, but uh, nothing has come about due to lockdown fun. Um, yeah, I've got got some list stuff I've been working on, like um, uh, the Night Lords. I've been playing around with a new 3K um, list, um, but it doesn't involve like a right of war currently, and I don't know how I feel about that and whether that's uh, something I should really aim to use or not. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of trying to, work out exactly the units I definitely want and what ones I'm happy to drop out of my current list and working around that while building uh, up my Ultramarine for potentially our event in March. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I'm at with lists, really. Um, uh, but, yeah, no games, unfortunately. I should have got them in early in the month before um, all the new changes came in, but I wasn't organised enough. No, uh, same goes for me. Although, ironically, where I live, yeah, that's true. Literally, just down the road from Matt and Sam, my tier is of a lower level of uh, COVID coverage, which is stupid. 
Yeah, very, very, very bizarre. But also, um, we're because we're coming from a higher tier, we're not allowed into your tier. However, <laughs> vice versa, I could come into yours. No worries. It's very weird. Yeah, whatever. It's, 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 it's stupid. But anyway, um, due to yes constraints with COVID and work and other aspects of this month, again, I have not had any games. Yeah, it's really sad. I love gaming. I have. I've had a game because I, I I will once again prop up this podcast <laughs> with my awesomeness. No, uh, the sad thing is, Neil, is that we've allowed, you know, it's always been the same narrative from Sam that he's the legitimate one. I am. And we've, yes. we've, we've now allowed that to happen mm. due to just being older and having more yep. responsibilities. I don't think you do, I'm though. Gonna, I have two children. Who? That's you definitely a, more responsibilities. You have a you. wife. She can look after them. You, oh God! I will not let her hear that. Don't worry. <laughs> She's capable. Um, you could just come say, over I here. Why don't you come live here? I'd be I had the loft boarded. You could live in the loft. I'd I'd happily do it, but I think I'd I'd lose a marriage, and I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Yet being the optimum word. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you've got to always the keep loft, possibilities open. The loft will come always on. be there, oh, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so anyway. I, Anyway, so I uh, I played a ZM game because ZM's actually super big uh, in our gaming group, which is really nice. Um, now that I have a ZM board, it makes sense that it's super big in our gaming group because why, once again, and holding up this group. Uh, so I played a <laughs> ZM game against Simon. Um, good game. Can't remember it. Super long ago, right at the beginning of the month. Um, I won. Why not? Um and so I played my no you you I vaguely remember you didn't win did I not I don't know um, I I forget these no, things because I'm... his his world eaters are very anti inventory they're very and good I think he he also has a couple of contemptors I think in his ZM list and very he didn't good. particularly have enough armor breaking no so I uh, played my blood angels versus his uh, world eaters they are Simon um the game outcome is neither here nor there I probably won maybe I didn't. Um, <laughs> it, it was a thousand point game on Simon ZM uh, that he's built using one of the studios. Anyway, it's an MDF uh, ZM train. It's coming along very nicely. He's painted it all and done the base coats and now he's going to go on and add more detail stuff on, which is quite cool. Um, so I've got points to discuss. So Simon, our friend Simon, is very good at using World Eaters rules to their maximum benefit. He's very yeah. good at uh, which I I am, am really not at, not not good at, um, at fully understanding and then applying those rules of your armies to maximum effect. Um, he's really good at it. Like he's the type of person. Whereas I'm like, I'll take a twenty man squad because I can do that. He's like, I'm gonna take a twelve and a half man squad because it makes <laughs> this mean I can do this and over here that happens and here and like. Whereas I don't think like that. I'm like, oh, copy paste, copy paste. <laughs> I'll have three of those uh, and an extra bar bread for free. Um, so, so Simon is very good at knowing his rules and then applying them to to a great devastating effect. Um, one thing which I did know, and actually it was really interesting, you just said what you said. Um, I very rarely take a right of war if I'm not taking like a thousand, a three thousand point force. Um, like I, I will just go now, whatever it's not, it, it doesn't, I can't, I can't take my right of war that I normally take. So I'm not going to take one. Well, actually 
Simon brought a right of war and he brought one which was like not not his specific ones, just a random forced one. Um, and and it gives him some benefit. All right, it's not overwhelming, but actually it gave him some benefit. And actually, um, what what kind of right of wars should we be taking in, especially in thousand point games, like in ZM games, especially? Should we be take? Should we be forcing ourselves to take a right of war? Should we actually be trying to to fill one of those slots? Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to what one, what kind of army you want to bring in, doesn't it? I think the the other thing is some people play ZM without right of wars as a rule, um, and then you just yeah you know, almost reset the playing field because some legions have very easy accessible right of wars that are really beneficial, and um, uh, like I think Death Guard have one that make their flamers super powerful, and then ZM makes them even more powerful because it's ZM rules. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah, like Blood Angels. Well, you're not deep striking, so there's no point of day of revelation and things like that. And for me, as a Night Lord player, like trying to bring a terror assault means that my thousand points is going to be three terror squads and a HQ and maybe a dreadnought. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it depends. I, I like to use the I can't remember the name of it, but the Vets one where you can take Terminators and Vet squads as troops. Uh... And so it allows me to then use more elite units. Because I don't have loads of tactical squad and things for my Night Lords, because that's not the build that pride, I currently have Pride of the Legion. Yes, that's it. Veterans and Terminators become um, compulsory troops, and command squads can take Lamb Raider, Phobuses, or Proteuses. Yeah, I mean, you don't get that bit, but having Terminator troops and uh, Vet squads as troops. Yeah. I have terror, terror Assault squads, and I turn them into Vet squads very easily, um, so that they transition across really easily. Um, and then it just means that I have a, a better equipped baseline. Um, so that's how I make it work for me if I'm bringing a right of war. But yeah, a lot of the right of wars are very conditional and affect your list in a quite a big way. Like yeah. you have to take this unit, you can't take this many, you have to bring this many units. You know, it affects your your unit choice really heavily. So unless you've got uh, a collection of models that is vast so you can just try different things. Yeah. You have to kind of look at what you've got for your main list and go, okay, how can I fit this into a thousand and can I use a right of war to my benefit? So I say I bring pride of the Legion because I have terminators and because I have those terror squads um, and uh, adapting them into vets means that my baseline is stronger because I don't have any tactical squad members because I don't run any in my full list. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, it's kind of, here and there, sometimes it's great, and other times it just can't be done due to your uh, selection choices in your your main list, shall we call it? Yeah, I think it, it's it's one of them things where, because like I said, I I I've wrote my three K list and I built my three K list. I've now actually changed my three K list, um, but <laughs> I, I've 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 bought it, I've built it, I've, it, it, it's there. So as soon as I go, okay, well I need to only take a thousand points of it. I almost just go, well, I can't take mine, so I'm not going to do it. But actually looking through. Like there's, there's a zone Mortanus assault force right of war, mm -hmm. um, where vanilla terminators become non-compulsory troops, and and one terminator squad can deep strike. And if playing a zone Mortanus game, legion breacher squads whose members are all in base-to-base uh, -base contact who aren't fleeing gain plus one to their invulnerable save. Like that kind of, I think what I need to get out of the habit of is being blind to other ways of playing my force. Yeah. Um, because I think that's very much it. It's if it, if I can't do it how I normally would, then I just don't do it. 
So I, I think I need to start learning some of these and actually try and go, okay, in this in this game, if it's not a 3,000 point standard my list game, I'm going to try and bring another Rite of War or I'm going to try and bring another um, way of playing. Because now, like I was saying, I've changed my list. I'll go through that in a minute because I wanted to air, air that. Um, I, I actually, I, I now have more available to take. Like I've got a Landmader and I've got... Uh, a storm eagle and i've i've got a 10 man tax squad and a five man devastator squad like which which in theory never actually make it into my list um in normal games so why 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 shouldn't i try and diversify and play that uh really yeah i think having having that choice of uh selection is what's key right like and again uh, most legions i think don't <coughs> sorry uh don't uh have that issue like think Neil Salamanders, like, you know, his Pyroclast becomes super powerful in ZM when he's already got those in his main list. You know, tactical squads are great and Fury is really strong and, um, well, he's got them in his list. You know, like most people running those kind of legions tend to go, Zone Mortalis, cool, I can just use what I've already got. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and actually either use the same right of war, but just less units, or, yeah, I'll just bring pride and that's really easy. Um, Whereas you've got a very jump pack heavy list, so suddenly it's like, oh, I've only got jump pack guys to bring in ZM, which aren't great. They're not good choices. No. Um, or there's better choices, probably should say. I'm sure yeah. someone's come up with a way of making them good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I, I've found that where I've adapted my Night Lord list once, and now I'm adapting it again, rather than clearing out and going, right, here's my list, I'm now starting to just go, well, I'll keep those Terminators. They don't feature in 3K. I can use them in ZM or I could use them in Centurion games or or even if we just went, well, let's play a 2K and I wanted something different. Having a collection is starting to become more appealing again. Um, whereas I think we naturally went down to we do a list because we wanted 10 armies. So to kind of cap yourself on going, well, I don't want you know 5,000 points of every force, but having 2K of every force is a bit more achievable. So I'll stick to that because I think we've now gone out the other end and I'm starting to look at my choices, 40K and Heresy, and going, well, actually, I'll build a list and I'll play it. But then actually, if I want to adapt that or play something different, I'm going to need further models. So actually having 3,500 points, 4K, 3,954, doesn't matter. Like you're just, you've got a collection, you build a list out of your collection. Yeah. No, I agree. What's happened? who's taken the real Matt and Sam? What's going on? <laughs> I think, do you know what it is, mate? It's the fact that time and money. So for me, thinking about rather than going, right, I'm now going to do a 2K Gene Stealer Cult army because Gene Stealer Cult are cool. I haven't got that time or that money to do that. But adding a Terminator squad to my Night Lords, that's something I can achieve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so now I'm starting to go, well, actually, so in 40K, I currently only have Tyranids. Right, that's the only army I have, and they're not in terms of playable. They are literally the only models I have, other than a few boxed-up kind of characters, because I've sold the rest off because I haven't got time or energy to put into anything else right now. And for Heresy, I always wanted one traitor and one loyalist legion. So, and I'm building up my loyalist legion while adapting my traitor legion because I've had it for a while. Um, but I don't plan on going any any further with that 
So if that's the case, then, you know, a year down the line of my ultras being finished to go, you know what? I haven't got any laser destroyer Vindies. Let's buy some of those and I can trade those out instead of my normal Vindies. Um, that's something that I can actually achieve and we'll have time to build paint and enjoying games rather than go, let's start a Space Wolf Legion or a Dark Angel Legion because actually starting a 3,000 point list just not achievable. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Fair enough. I, I now with Blood Angels, I, I think it's, it's going to be that force where I just kind of go, oh, okay, let's just buy some of these jet bikes. And let's just paint them up and fit them in, and that'd be cool. Um, and just have them as as a way of of diversifying the force. Like, and this kind of probably is happening because forty k is going the way that forty k is going, and it's just becoming. Maybe I'm just getting too old. It's just so complicated now. Mm. I'm just too we'll, tired. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm gonna quickly run through my new list just because that's part of gaming. Um, and uh, nice to get get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, so I'm running, uh, my right of all that I'm running for these guys uh, is uh, Day of Revelation, um, which gives, let's just run through Day of Revelation. Day of Revelation, cool. So Day of Revelation, uh, you have a rule called Come of the Host, which jump infantry squads, which are part of the detachment, must arrive via deep strike on the first turn of the game and do not need to roll for reserves. With Fire and Thunder, all deep striking units in the detachment gain 5 plus cover save on the game turn they arrive. Uh, place a marker by the unit. Yeah, whatever. Uh, opening of the seal. It's like breaking of the seal when you're out drinking. Uh, all ranged weapons carried by infantry and jump infantry, uh, which are part of the detachment, gain the pinning special rules for shooting phase of the player turn that you deep struck. That's a really bad way of saying that when I come down, all my, all my guns have pinning, which I always forget. Judgment of Angels, <laughs> all units which are part of this attachment and have the Legion Astartes Blood Angels special rule gain plus one to the initiative on the turn they charge into assault. Uh, by honor bound, characters with the Legion Astartes Blood Angels special rules must always accept a challenge if one is offered. Uh, and then compulsory HQ and troop choices of this attachment must be made up of jump packs. Attachments using the right of war uh, must take a compulsory fast attack choice, uh, either flies or deep strikes. And then Primary detachment using this right of war cannot take fortifications, you know, all that kind of fun. So I am taking uh, Sanguinius, obviously, because he is the best. Uh, I have opted to take Sanguinius with his spear. Spear? No. Yeah, I've no, got... I think so. I've got them all attached, which I don't think you could do. Anyway, whatever. Um, so I've got Sanguinius in there. I've got a chaplain um, who with a jump pack. Um, and a fracture field, you know, the normal stuff that I take, uh, bolt pistol. I've got a Damocles Commander Rhino giving me that 12 inch, 24 inch bubble of deep strike goodness with no scatter. Um, I also have a Moratat with a jump pack, and he is equipped with uh, dual Inferno pistols, so melter pistols. Has to be super close to make it effective, so that's where hopefully the 24 inch, um, bubble comes into effect where i can just drop within three inches of a tank i have successfully deep struck him within three inches of a tank before uh so that's fine yeah using the command rhino will make that much uh easier safer safer's yeah, the word as well yeah it's just no scatter isn't it <laughs> yeah Do you know with the command rhino yeah and i think the answer's going to be no and don't worry about looking it up but 
if you have to if the unit needs to be wholly within 24 or if the first guy needs to be within 24 uh i'm gonna guess it's gonna be well on the safe side it says whole unit but i'm guessing the model the first model um uh, two seconds i'll edit all this out anyway a, B, C, D, E, F, G, G, located beacon. Units arriving via deep strike, which are part of the force containing the uh, Democles command, do not scatter if they choose to arrive within 24 inch. So choosing yeah, to so arrive is the first yeah, model, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's first model rather than um, the whole unit. Because it would say the, the unit has to finish wholly within yeah. 24 inches, um, yeah. which it doesn't say. So, yeah. No. Cool. Uh, I then have uh, a squad of angels tears um, with uh, these are my uh, effectively my, my devastator squad. That's not the, that's not the right <laughs> term, is it? Destroyers. Destroyer squads. There we go. Uh, so they all have um, majority of them have Volkite Spenter pistols, uh, dual Volkite Spenter pistols, but two of them are carrying um, grenade launchers. Angels tears, grenade launchers, 24 inch strength four, uh, blaster inches, rad phage and flesh bane assault weapons so that's always fun uh this Ooh. entire squad i believe is also equipped with melter bombs if i remember correctly yeah melter bombs oh no nice. the sergeant the sergeant has melter bombs apologies oh, okay that would have been amazing though wouldn't it but it's not it's the sergeant yeah, uh, yeah i tend to run uh, my units like that so i have two apothecarian detachments and just to wind up simon one has three and one has one um, so they're not all level. Uh, they've all got jump packs because I believe every squad should have a, a apothecary with it. Um, back to my good old days of Blood Angels in sixth edition, I think. Yeah, fifth, sixth, yeah. One of those. Um, and uh, yeah, so they've all got... I, I tend to run them quite bare. So they've just got chainsaws, bolt pistols, the normal type stuff um, and power armor. Um, they normally stay at the back or surrounded by by guys so they don't they tend to they tend to stay alive normally i have three uh 15 man assault squads with three with a sergeant's got a, a power fist and uh there are three um power axes in there as well in each squad uh and then the sergeant has a melter bomb as well which actually no he doesn't that's a lie he doesn't have a melter bomb because he's got a giant fist sorry you froze on my screen oh sorry um, so the, uh, that squad, uh, the sergeant's got a power fist. Um, I didn't give him melter bombs because the, the sergeant's got a giant fist and it's quite expensive to give everyone melter bombs in, in, uh, in the salt squads. So we'll see how it goes. If I need to free some points up, I might just kill off something, but at the moment he's just going to have, um, power fists and artificer armor. Uh, that's the three assault squads. Next up, I have two squads of two javelin, uh, attacks, uh, speeders. Um, both of those are equipped with um, a multi-melter and twin-linked cyclone missile launchers each. Uh, so that's four multi-melters zipping around and, and, and missile launchers zipping around as well. It's actually be yeah, quite they're, fun. They're uh, two shots each, twin-linked. So yep. Heavy yeah, two, twin-linked, uh, either strength eight um, AP1 or uh, a blast with strength four AP6. So hopefully both infantry and tank killing abilities. Um, then I have a four-man jet jet bike Sky Slayer support squadron. Um, so four-man, um, and they are all running multi-melters. Oh, uh, yeah, these are the uh, jet bikes, aren't they? Yeah, my jet bikes. 
Yes, these are all running uh, multi-melters uh, and chainsaws just to assault if they need to. But the main thing is to multi-melter them to death. Yeah, I think jet bikes get hit and run, don't they? Or is that uh, just me coming up with a rule? Uh, da, da, da. Not listed here. Okay, uh, then, yeah, it's probably just me coming up with a rule. Um, but yeah, you want to keep them away from combat. Oh, yeah, hopefully, because I don't want them to get tied up, because that would be awful. Yeah, well, I think they only have like one or two attacks each as well, so they're not going to exactly set the world on fire. No. No, it's all, they get plus one toughness, two plus save, cannot go to ground and cannot be pinned. So, mm. fairly fun. Anyway, uh, and that's my list. Uh, and Sanguinius, but obviously I mentioned him first. So it should be, hopefully, quite a fun, fast list. Yeah, it's a very chaotic list for your opponent. Like all the the jump packs coming in turn one. You got the three assault squads, and then the what are they called the Dawnbreakers also come in with Sanguinius turn one. Don't they? Uh... Or is they are they turn two? They might be turn two. Where are they? Angels Tears, Hatchman, Assault Squad, Assault Squad, Assault Squad, Dawnbreakers. I didn't mention those actually, sorry, apologies. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I've got a Dawnbreaker squad, uh Dawnbreaker squad, and um they have an apothecary and uh, sanguinius with them, yeah. Um yes, yeah, so I think all those arrive turn one, so it's just like ah, uh, lots of men everywhere mm. falling out the sky. So um potentially pinning units and um uh yeah, just causing hassle yeah um, so the plan is to start the game with a, a rhino the rhino uh hidden away as far back as he can afford to in a building so no one hits him with anything uh and then the jet bikes and the speeders can also start on the board as well yeah i mean the cool thing is is the jet bikes and the speeders can also deep strike yeah um, so you, if if you're looking at an army where it's like actually well that's a bit scarier just having the rhino completely hidden, yeah, um, may be a better option, and then have those units come in later on in deep striking, because then you've got the non-scatter. I think the javelins can also outflank, so you can choose to outflank them instead and have them come on a, a board edge, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got you've got different options there to on how to deploy and stuff. It, it plays very similar to how uh, my Night Lord current list works. Uh, which is very little deployed and everything kind of coming in because the command right now gives you the uh, coming in buff as well. You can plus one or minus one your roll for reserves. Yeah. Um, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, I always freak out when, they, especially going second, like if, if they can spot even that dish, pardon me, if they can spot even that dish um, and and blow you up even with an amazing cover save, then suddenly your whole thing goes, oh, everything's now scattering and ah. <laughs> well, Sanguinius, the squad that he comes in with, doesn't scatter anyway. Um, yes, yeah. So yeah. worst case scenario is he comes down with his Sanguinius, his um, apothecary detachment and uh, his squad and just goes where he needs to and then everyone else is. Yeah. And, and I, I, do you know what? I've had quite good good experiences of um of of landing a 20 man assault squad and not scattering too far so these will be these will be 15 man so you'll have even more room even (laughs) more room so i i do need to buy of that list i think i need to buy uh five more assault marines uh a four-man jet bike squad and then two more land speeders and then that should be done nice so fairly 
fairly uh, fairly mobile, fairly shooty. Lots of melter, which is brilliant, but not a lot of high penetration. So like no yeah. lab, no las cannons, that kind of stuff. That's what I was say. Your highest strength there is eight, other than potentially sanguineous, um, yeah. which can impact, but even against land raiders. And if they've got armored ceramite, then your multi metals aren't getting the double pen, even if they're close. Then yeah. suddenly you're relying on metal bombs. But every army has a weakness, right? You can't hit every single nail on the head. Yeah. Um, so like like my army, my ultramarine army would fear your army for the fact that actually multi melters and melter guns everywhere would like most of my tanks don't have armored ceramite because you can't you can't afford to give it to every tank otherwise you'd have half the amount of tanks. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm like oh I need to kill them quick. Um, but yeah, it, I think there'll just be some things that will be like fire magnets for you, like first rounds, and it's just weathering the storm. So having the feel no pain everywhere makes so much sense because that just makes it easier for you. Yeah. Um, the cover save as well massively helps from the right of war, thinking about it. Like there are some weapons that are anti-cover save, like playing Neil's Typhon would not be fun for you because there's this barrage and no cover save just 15 men deep strike and he just goes here's an apocalyptic blast over the top but, yeah and and no feel no pain right but that's yeah. like a i say an example of a 500 point unit or 400 point unit so most most armies most units aren't going to give you that much fear no and 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 i i, I feel every every list kind of has that like you said like thinking about other people's lists like simon has lots and lots of bodies like just people walking yeah. around all right they get the feel no pain um miraculously every squad gets it um but that at least means there is that weakness of just template the hell out of them yeah i, th- I think uh for, for your list it's really deployment like yeah. so when you deep strike in you know if you're playing someone like simon's list actually you're going to want to make sure you're a bit further back so you don't come down and then him just charge you with his mass bodies. You know, you right. want to come down, have him charge towards you, and then you get the charge on the second turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's how you play against the mass inventory list, uh, especially one that's good for close combat. And then the the more kind of tank or slumbering force is where you want to be right in their face to give them too many targets, because they won't be able to get into combat with most of them. And they may not even be combat-type units, like Iron Warriors, for example. Like you're going to get infantry squads, which you know, you're going to shoot when you come down and hopefully do some casualties too. They're going to have Devastator squads, which you might even be able to pin and have them snapshot at you for the first turn. Um, and they're going to have very little in terms of really good combat units. Yeah. It's just, I think it's about knowing the legions, knowing the list you're up against and deploying your deep striking units appropriately on how close or how far i think i think from experience from playing blood angels for a bit now they definitely do better if i get the charge oh yeah they get the benefits they get the the plus one plus one uh or or minus one to hit or hang on they get they get one less to hit so if i need a three i actually i need a two that kind of stuff but then you get that on the charge so like every I guess every legion that I want to charge most. Yeah, legions. pretty much. Pretty much. I think the ones that get um, bonuses for firing, uh, I think Iron Warriors can overwatch on a five or six. So like you're like, yeah, cool. You come down, I'll shoot into you. You can then charge me. I'll shoot you again on mm-hmm. five and sixes. 
you know, so there are there are a few choices, or like I would say actually salamanders with the um pyroclast flamers. Like, you know, if you charge in a unit of them, they're like, cool, I wanna use my D3 flamer uh overwatch. Like, why would I charge you and not get that? But mo most of the time, yeah, you wanna charge in because that extra combat dice makes so much difference. Mm. Well, uh warp storm pole time. So Neil's awake, clearly. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's been a long week. Uh, warp Storm poll. Um, so our Warp Storm poll from last time was which Primark would you want to punch in the face the most and why? Uh, this came out of Matt, Matt and I's love for, for some Primarks uh, <laughs> and, and our hatred for others. Um, so let's just start with comments, I guess. Neil, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Adam Friend has said Sanguinius because I felt like destroying something beautiful. And he is very beautiful, that Sanguinius. Good old fight club. He's all sparkly and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a perfect... I think that was the very first comment that we got. Yes, it was. Like, it was. Yeah, this isn't a serious poll, clearly. You know, it's just, hey, who do you want to punch? Some people took it quite seriously in their choices, which is cool. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to see who would want to punch who and why. And that one was like a perfect introduction. So I had to include it in our notes. Yep. Uh, next is Benjamin Tomset. Uh, and I've just accidentally completely moved my notes. So let me get back there. Um, so next up is Benjamin Tomset. Um, Mortarian is just so incredibly whingy. I would punch him. <laughs> so yeah, he wants to punch Mortarian in the face. I, I agree. But then the only bad thing with Montar Montarian is that he would then grow back or you'd end up getting a disease of some kind. I mean, I don't think you're hurting any Primark that you punch in the face, sadly. <laughs> well, are we, make, are we making assumptions here? Like, Are we saying that as we are also a Primark and we're just going round for round or are we just going to uh, be a human? Because likelihood is, if you're a human, you ain't getting close anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we were just saying, hey, who cares? Let's just ask the fun question. Good. Um, so yeah, so let's not go down that route. But yeah, I, it's funny because I read that and went, "Is he whingy?" And I had to think back to the books that I've read with him in and gone, "Has he been whingy? Like, yeah. Does he have a point? Is he just bitter and annoyed and fair play?" Or like, yeah, where where's his motive? Is he actually like whingy? I don't know if I'd describe him as whingy. He's definitely like a downer. He definitely moans a lot. Yeah. But I don't know. If, I don't know if that is the same as whingy. Like whingy yeah. is like. I don't know, moaning and whinging are two different things. Like, whinging's like being a little baby about something like, oh, no, eh. Whereas moaning is just like, this is stupid, you're an idiot, life sucks, rah. Like, I don't know, there's a slight difference in my head. Mm. That's fair, that's fair. He's whingy. Fair enough. Uh, Niall McLeod, McLeod, uh, curs. He just refuses to take responsibility I always thought it about, uh, but Guy Haley's Primark book. Guy Haley's Primark book. Oh my god, Primark, Sam. Primark. Like the shop, but I better. Curse. He just refuses to take responsibility. I always thought it, but Guy Haley's Primark book really hammered home that he had a choice and he chose to be the way he is. It's just an emo kid. He's such an emo. Indeed. Yeah, I haven't read that uh, Primark book. I've got it. Uh, Chris lent it to me. It's on my bookshelf to read. Um, so I'm looking forward to reading that. But yeah, he, he definitely is. I don't know. In his own head, he's 
here's the remedy, here's the reason, he's you know, doing his things for good reasons. But then when you take a step back, you're like, really? Like you could step in and sort this out, but you're just choosing to go along with it. Why? Yeah. Mm. James Gibb has asked, can he change his vote to Ferris? <laughs> James Gibb has asked if he can change his vote to Ferris instead because he likes playing volleyball. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I'd want to use uh, a head as a volleyball, but you know, <laughs> can, you imagine, with my hand. can you imagine how much that it would did hurt? make me laugh? Uh, like, it's literally just like slapping someone's head like backwards and forwards. That would hurt so much. You, you could always say, heads up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get uh. your head around that one. <laughs> he didn't have a head for war. No, he didn't. Um, Paul Smuddy Shaw. Matthew? Yes, sorry. Um, he chose Magnus because he did everything wrong in how to handle getting the message to the Emperor. And also, he's so OP that he probably needs a punch. <laughs> yeah, just for his gaming just, rules. Just take him down yeah, a peg. Just, just take him down a peg or two. Like, bam. Blam. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny one. Like, it's the whole Magnus did nothing wrong. He was he just did, trying though. to get back to the Emperor. Yeah, I mean, he does plenty wrong in my personal opinion. But um, I think, yeah, him discovering and trying to kind of bring Horace from the brink is, is really admirable. And he is definitely one of the more tragic um, fallen Primarch, shall we say. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't know, just going in ham and sending a message to the Emperor, ripping a hole open in the uh, webway portal underneath the palace and causing all the damage that he does. He's like, could he have sensed that? Could he have maybe thought about it and done it a different way? Like, yeah, I don't know. I blame the Emperor. Well, yeah, I think you can blame the Emperor for pretty much all of it, to be honest. If he just didn't have sons. Or just then, taught them properly. But then I also blame Corax as well, so you know. <laughs> Do you know what? Not a single vote for Corax in this poll. It's because he's, he's, he's so useless. He doesn't do anything. He's, <laughs> he's, he's nearly he's, blown up on his farm, and that's about it. He's definitely the forgettable <laughs> Primark, right? Uh, yeah, sure. He is. Hey, anyway, own uh, thoughts aside, um, I who did you vote for? Um, oh, or who would you vote for? Sorry. Um, I'm trying to remember now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I actually voted, uh, voted, voted <laughs> uh, in the poll. But I don't know. I, there's something about Fulgrim that just makes me want to punch him. Yeah, I get that. But like, and again, he. I don't think he had any votes really? in our it's poll either. He might have had one. A lot of the Primarchs had one vote, and then it kind of breaks off. Um, but yeah, it was. I I was surprised that he didn't have more. But then. There are some more, like, I guess, higher profile problems of Primarchs, like Magnus and Horus and others. Hmm. Indeed. I I oh. think I would vote for... See, Fulgrim's face is so... It just winds me up so much. And reading, reading all the books about him and how he treats humans, like, he just deserves a bit of a slap. But at the same time... Grabbing Magnus's horns and slamming him down into my knee would definitely feel very, <laughs> very gratifying. Uh, look at the rust coming out on you. 
But it's it's just he just is annoyed, and like, and he's so like, oh, it's not my fault, and it is like it's his fault. You made a pact <laughs> to save your sons. Well, actually, a lot of a lot of these things and a lot of these things in Primarchs, if they just spoke to their dad, it would have sorted it out. I mean, yeah, I mean, their dad should have probably been more present or taught them better. I think it does fall on the emperor's shoulders rather than the Primarchs, but and that's kind of the tragedy of it in some ways. But yeah. And Magnus is just hubris, though, isn't it? It's like, I'm going to make this pact because it solves a problem that I don't know how to solve. And I'm a super powerful psyker. I, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm, I'm stronger than it. And Zinch just lost. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem. And that's, that's where he does something wrong. You know, everyone wants to talk about how he contacts the Emperor and all of that stuff. For me, it's the hubris and going, I'm more powerful than Zinch. It's fine. And that not being the case. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about you, Neil? Who would you, who would you punch in the face? Oh, it's there a are tough, a few. There are a it's few. A tough one. Um, yeah, I'd probably smack Lorgar just because it's Lorgar. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Horus because he was weak. In the end. In the well, in in the end, yeah, he's just weak. He got turned. He's weak. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. That's Bay, really. Logar and Horus. Yeah. 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 It makes sense why they were towards the the top end of our polls. Um. So yeah, as I said, the results we kind of go through now. Um. Unless anyone's got anything else to add to the discussion bar. No. 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 Uh, it was just a fun, quite simple uh quiz uh poll. I was gonna say quiz then. Not what I mean. Um. So, yeah, we had lots of Primarchs that were either on zero or one, so I haven't really ranked them. And trying to grab all of that information off a Facebook post was just doing my head in. Uh, so, honourable mentions first, and then we'll work up. Um, all with four votes each, we had Raboot Gunnerman. Um, I'm guessing for Imperium Secundus stuff. Um, the Lion, because, hey, he's a heretic, right? Oh, he needs hey. a slap. He needs Joke. a slap. <laughs> um, and Lehman Ross. I mean, I, that would be the only Primarch that I'd be afraid to hit. Um, no, I don't know. Angron would probably be worse. Angron would have to be do it and run away. R- Russ would laugh at you. Angron would rip you into pieces. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's my only argument there. But yeah, they all got four votes each. Um, some people were chatting about them in the comments. Like We couldn't grab all the comments. But um, yeah, they were our honorable mentions. And then our top three. So coming in third was he did some stuff wrong. Maybe Magnus <laughs> with five votes. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see him up there. I think lots of people have passionate feelings about Magnus either way. Um, then we get second place. We get the war master himself, Horace, with seven votes. So just coming past Magnus. Um, and I guess that's because, yeah, hey, he went traitor. <laughs> I get that. Um, yeah, I mean, Horace is a real tragic story. You know, he's again one of those tragedy primarchs who falls and he's he's confused and alone and upset with the emperor and you know he's unaware of what's going on around him and he definitely makes mistakes and is isn't uh, blameless. But um, yeah, it is kind of a bit of a tragic story. The best of us fell first, right? Uh, well, yeah. second technically because our number one is the very first primarch to fall to the. The whims of chaos. Lorgar himself with a massive seventeen votes. 
Yeah, I get that. Have you seen his yeah, model as well? He he does look like a punchable face. <laughs> yeah, he's a punchable face. I think in terms of ranking them in strength, I think he comes lower down until he becomes kind of crazy demon powered guy. Um, and he's he's the reason, right? Like if Lorgar never fell, maybe Horus never fell because Erebus would have never brought the or stolen the blade that gets cut and all that jazz. You know, they are the stem of the heresy. So if you can, if you can punch him in the face for either going, damn you, or punch him in the face so hard that his head explodes and then suddenly there is no heresy, I can kind of see why you'd vote for him. Well, thank you for joining in with our fun little poll. Every now and again, we like to throw something funny in there that's just you know, not massively deep cut or real life, but something that's just enjoyable to talk about. And that was fun. So thank you very much. Um, continue chatting about that in the comments on our safe room as well if you would like um but next month's poll gentlemen so our next month's poll is something maybe a little bit more serious than punching primarchs in the face i guess um it's does the constant release schedule of warhammer 40k in ninth edition so far affect you in a positive or negative way concerning your personal hobby and obviously we want why in the comments so the three options will be positively that the release schedule and the constant kind of new stuff that's been coming is affected your hobby positively um and you can take that however you you want to um negatively as it is it hindered your personal hobby uh, or has it actually not had that much of an effect on your personal hobby as it kind of carried on at the same pace um yeah really interested in this one because i think for uh certainly me and sam we're probably sitting more currently on the negative side not necessarily that we feel negative about it but that it's affecting us negatively in our personal hobby um but yeah more on that next month um it'll be really interesting to see your points of view please engage with us in the comments and chuck in your whys just voting for positively and not telling us why you're motivated more to get more hobby done because of the release schedule it doesn't actually lead much and the segment will be very quick so we really want those whys on why it affects you positively negatively or if actually you haven't seen it impact your personal hobby much at all and why Please give us those wires. Cool. And what we're going to do is take a quick break and we'll come back um, with our... No. What is it? Which one is it? We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with our spotlight, which is actually also in this episode going to be the final segment. Uh, See you in a minute. The tendrils of the warp are far-reaching and communicating using the great social media anonymicon. Do I? What's that? Do I have to say that? Yeah, it's a keeper anonymicon. Anonymicon. Anyway, it's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terror podcast page on Facebook. www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror podcast and the Adeptus Terror Podcast Community Safe Room Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash T-A-T-P Safe Room. You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow. Thanks, guys. 
So, oh, sorry, we're running. Yes. Cool. <laughs> That's what the finger guns were. Well, yeah, I was expecting you to just go and go into the intro. Oh, I don't intro this one. This isn't me. That's that's true. Welcome back. This is the spotlight, and this episode we are talking about homunculi covens of the Dark Elder or Drukari, as they are now known, or slash always known. Really honest. What's the Imperial Guard? Astra Miller Watsits. Astra Miller what now? Astra Miller what now? Yeah, I love that. But yeah, so we're going to be going through uh, kind of a, a basic level of the homunculi covens, um, what they represent in Eldar society, um, the different forces they can bring to bear in the, on the battlefield, um, and all the law goodness. And then at the end, we'll have our on the tabletop where we've each chosen a unit um, from the homunculi covens and talk a little bit about those. Uh, so yeah, lots to get through. Um, now, as always with a spotlight, there's always more you can do. Um, but we like to keep these segments to a, a something manageable. So, uh, yeah, if, if homunculi covens are your thing, there's probably some stuff that we're going to miss or that you can go deeper with. Um, please feel free to let us know what we have missed and if it was really important. And maybe we'll do a bit of a retcon next episode. Um, dangerous to say that, but I feel like that's something we should put out there. Um and you don't much about Monkey Covens, which I didn't particularly, because I've never massively been invested in Dark Elder as a race uh, in terms of wanting to do them. Um, yeah, you might learn some cool new stuff. Anyway, so let's let's kick off. The Homunculi Covens are a self-governing organization, basically, uh, composed of the most evil creatures in Komara, uh, the dark city of the Dark Elder. Homunculi Covens can be compared to incubus sects or witches, who from time to time cooperate with the cabals of the Dark City when necessary for themselves or when it is mutually beneficial to them all. They're kind of left to their own devices until they're needed and then they're kind of bartered with to gain their, their work. Um, homunculi covens consist of homunculi, of course, um, uh, attended by their crazy and twisty, twisty? twisted creations, such as racks and grotesques and the like. Uh, the hierarchy in a homunculi coven uh, is not really known, although it is highly possible that there is one master homunculus or homunculus ancient in each coven, kind of the head of the house. A bit like the, uh, the, the Archon in the Dark Cities, or think Navigator Houses for Imperium. Uh, they have kind of the head Navigator and then their kind of royal court, and it kind of filters downwards. Um, possibly they run the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, underneath Comorar is where they kind of exist uh, through the many spires and edifices that are at the top also uh, exist down the bottom kind of clustered together making confusing cavern-like lairs and mazes of misery the underworld of the dark city is an exceptionally dangerous place even by the standards of Comorar inside the underworld homunculi of like mind gather together into these covens each of which occupies a vast cluster of cells and laboratories. It is in here, deep beneath the Dark City, where diabolical homunculi meld flesh and create their pieces of art, in brackets. Indeed. And they do, they, you know, homunculi see their work as almost an art form. Um, it's not just science, there's, there's more to it than that's expression. Um, one of the most uh, important roles of the covens in Comorar is artificially growing Dark Elder. 
I didn't know this. Um, they uh, use fertilized eggs are implanted in uh, amniotic tubes that honeycomb the breeding walls of their laboratories with a disgusting insectile technology that is many millennia old. The growth of the embryos is hyper-accelerated and the newborns are then attended to by racks. Just imagine your, your daycare nurse is uh, a, a rack. Like <laughs> this faceless four-armed being. Faceless four-armed being with a corset on. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting place to grow up. Um, dark elder born this way are much more common, uh, which has resulted in the increase of social status for the conventionally born true-born. Uh, who consider themselves inherently superior over the half-born that are grown in tubes. So, you know, racism everywhere. <laughs> um, there's always that sense with Dark Elder of importance and having stature and status being a really important thing. And I suppose the true-born feel like they have something over those that are grown in these laboratories. Mm. Um, the science of the covens has also made its mark in the Dark Elder Society, not only in being able to create new life, but also by denying death. Homunculi have the ability to regrow a corpse back to its former life, providing that it is brought to them no later than a day from their death. Cabals often make pacts with the homunculi to regenerate their dead back to life after a real space raid. The act of bringing uh, life back happens through the use of pain on another living being. This is the power through pain kind of gimmick that the Dark Elder have. Uh, the corpses of the Dark Elder to be revived are installed in semi-cocoon states uh, inside a regeneration pod arrayed, uh, uh, yeah, arrayed above the torture tables and other instruments of the laboratories. The patient will slowly feast on the cacophony of shrieks from the victim below, first growing back to the skeleton, then the muscle and sinew, and lastly the alabaster skin which the Dark Elder are known for. During a war, it is common for every pod of a dungeon to be filled with red raw bodies that shiver and rattle with every new scream. A great choice for Halloween, that is. <laughs> just, that's so creepy and horrible and just oh, makes my skin crawl a little bit. Uh, several covens specialise in just making engines of pain as well. Uh, these include the Ever Spiral, the Ebon Sting, the Altered, and the Prophets of Flesh, to name but a few. The workings of the coven and their homunculi is truly terrifying and vast. They play a, a large role in the wider Drukhari's life, securing them importance and status within the standings of all in Comora. Uh, so that's kind of the background of what they do. They make new Dark Elder, they revive dead ones and make these disgusting engines of pain. Um, what we're going to do now is go through the forces within a coven. Uh, I think, Sam, you're kicking us off on that. Indeed. So I'm starting with the racks. So racks are the twisted creation of the Dark Elder homunculi. They act as assistants and bodyguards to their masters and are equipped with a range of close combat and ranged weapons. Being, uh, beings that are chosen to be racks have chosen this voluntarily. At some stage in their lives, after, after living in the Dark City, some Dark Eldar go to the homunculi and ask to be modified into a, into a rack. This way, those who have nothing to lose give their lives into the hands of the homunculi. 
This is often the only way to get out of uh, out of the norm and make a whole range of new painful experiences in their twisted lives. Racks are modified by all kinds of steroids and drugs. They are cut up into pieces and reassembled. Their arms are usually their arms usually get replaced by blades, metal claws, or other weapons or tools. Amongst the racks, there is a position known as the acothetist. Acothetist. I can't say acothetist. <laughs> yeah. Acothetist. Sure. Yeah. Basically, the sergeant. This seems to be a position <laughs> of authority amongst the racks. The acothetists are sometimes rewarded with unique homunculi weapons, such as the hex rifle. Racks often have metal gauntlet, gauntlets grafted in place of their hands, and they will use these to inject or withdraw fluids from their torture victims. These can be coated in deadly poisons for combat if necessary. Fingers and toenails are usually severed and replaced with razor-sharp talons and modifications to bone and skin, skin in common. Being bound slaves of the homunculi, racks have little choice in how they are armed. They usually wield poison blades and sometimes carry more exotic equipments such as feared liquefier guns, hex rifles, venom blades, flesh gauntlets, ossifactors, and mind phase gauntlets. So I've gone and picked a few of my favorites to read out. Uh, So we have the liquefier guns. Uh, These spray a huge amount of potent acid that melts through body and armor. Sometimes the users of these guns will have built-in liquefier guns, which they can fire their own acid-like blood into the enemies. Nice. So just a... it's like it's it's like having a bunch of xenomorphs. Yeah, kind of. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Acid, acidic blood that's going to melt them. Next up is the ossifactors. Uh, ossifactors are used by homunculi to manipulate their clients' bone growth. These devices have also been pressed into military service and wielded by the homunculi in racks with deadly results. One blast from these weapons sees the victim undergo uncontrollable bone growth, with their skeletons suddenly sprouting spurs and spears that slay them instantly, and may even impale their brothers in arms. There's a gun that causes bone to just just go crazy and grow everywhere and turn into like spines and points and it's like kamikaze weapon. Yeah, pretty much. And then finally, the mind phase gauntlets. These are high-tech gauntlets used by the homunculi and their minions, such as Dirac or the Grotesque, which I'll go on to in a minute. If an enemy or anyone is touched with these gauntlets, the victim's strength uh, and will are sapped by neuron controllers. Even the Carnifex can be stopped by these gauntlets. So they, they take power out of people. I could just see one of these guys going, right, you're going to go and stop that Carnifex. What, with these things? Yeah. 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 These sparkly gloves. Oh, are you sure <laughs> about this? Yeah, yeah, just go and do it. Okay. Donk. Oh, oh, it's worked. So I think I think yeah. the, these these gauntlets they they pull the power out of the, the enemy and put them into the person wearing them. So imagine a, a rack with the, the power of a, a, a of a Carnifex. I feel like it's short-lived, though. I imagine they probably pull it out so they can kill it while it's not really moving much, and then it probably Probably. disappears, right? So, grotesques. Grotesques are hulking monsters of muscle and bone created by the homunculi. Unlike the racks, none join the the ranks of the grotesques voluntarily. Grotesques are often created from prisoners of the homunculi. 30k Fabius Bile came to mind at this point. 
The process of becoming <laughs> okay. grotesque is extremely long and painful. The victim is injected with growth elixirs, macrosteroids, and muscle stimulants. The victim's bone growth is driven into hyperactivity by ossovirals, the, the, the ones I talked about earlier, resulting in external spines sprouting from the victim. Near the end of the process, perhaps maybe years later, a hand, uh, uh, the hands of the poor victim are replaced with metal claws uh, or dripping tubes that can uh, spray blood at people. Uh, at this stage of the transformation, grotesques are mostly lobotom- lobotomized and, uh, and so will mindlessly obey their homunculus master. Last of all, the victim's horrifying face is covered with a mask of black iron. Some grotesques, uh, perhaps the most ferocious of them, known as the uh, aberrations, are granted by the homunculi some far more deadly weapons than, their, than just their claws. These weapons are usually gauntlets uh, or other integrated weapons as grotesques likely not intelligent enough to truly wield those weapons. These integrated weapons include the liquefier guns, the flesh gauntlets, and the monstrous cleavers. Pretty scary stuff. In war, grotesques are generally used as line breakers. They are usually sent to the front line of an attack force, uh, as they will kill relentlessly until commanded otherwise. Grotesques are also reported to sometimes fight amongst themselves. Likely the various steroids and stimulants flowing through their bodies are what will send them into berserker rampages. A grotesque that has killed its fellows usually dies through whether at the hands of the uh, Kabbalite or the witch allies, or some other reasons altogether, which is unknown. One homunculi coven, the Children of Bone, are known for creating exceptionally large grotesques, and in 272.m39, they led a raid of the uh, they led a raid of the Imperial Frontier World of Desperation, desolating its client uh, its cities and terrorizing the population into worshiping the coven over the emperor. Pretty scary stuff. Yeah, just a can bit. do crazy stuff. So, out of those two, which would you which would you rather be? Uh, neither. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, it boggles me that people go, "I'm gonna be a wreck now." Like, well, why? I think because their whole the Dark Elder whole thing is about is about causing pain and 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 uh, excess and all that kind of stuff. And at the point, I guess they get they get to that level where they've done everything they can do, so they kind of go, "All right, then let's just go do this." This is another way of them doing it. Uh, yeah, I wonder okay. if it's also just that escape of death, right? They're like nearly immortal beings and um, Slanesh is after their their souls, so this is a way of kind of um, suspending that. Especially as the homunculi are kind of the pain merchants and can bring you back from death. Um, it's not a bad place to be if you want to survive a lot longer, even in that state. Yeah, yeah. Still yeah. boggles my mind. <laughs> I guess at least if I'm uh, grotesque, I'm not feeling or thinking anything anymore. No, that's very true. You are that, gone. You're yeah, mentally gone. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Is it or terrifying? Yeah, it leads, <laughs> that, that leads us down a quite dark path. So I don't really want to talk too much about that. <laughs> you wimp. Let's move on from that one. Um, so up next, uh, we've got the Talos pain engines. Uh, as the name suggests, the Talos is an engine of pain. They are semi-sentient, a combination of organic and metal parts. 
protected by a metallic shell that is impervious to most types of firearms, and they are equipped with an unholy array of weapons and surgical tools. These monstrosities are created by the homunculi and are viewed as the pinnacle of their art. As Matt said earlier, yeah, the, the homunculi, their pain creation, their flesh-melding organic crafting is is they view as an art a very sick and twisted art at that um anyone caught yeah certainly anyone caught by a talos is fated to suffer a rather grisly end um where they are rapidly dissected by manipulator scalpels and surgically sharp tools the victim is flayed layer by layer and the Talos feeds on every removed part, sorry, and the Talos feeds every removed part into itself, invigorating itself with greater power as it puts on an amusing torture show for its owner. After the battle is over, the owner can extract the constituent parts of the victim to create potions and elixirs. So they're almost like a... a... Can't think of the right term for it, but a um a vest a collection vessel for an alchemist. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess. Um, they it... remind me of the Tyranid Malanthropes. Um, so it's a forge world unit, and they basically dissect their victims and work out the best way of killing them, and then send that through the hive mind so that everyone. Yeah. I think in the game you get like plus one to hit or some bonus once you've been able to successfully kill something with that unit. Uh-huh. Ah, it's very... Cool. Reminds me of that. Very reminiscent of that. Um, they're usually armed with uh, a twin-linked splinter cannon on the tail and uh, up to two close combat weapons, which can include chain flail, micro... or oh, sorry, macro scalpel, um, one of which of these can be replaced with an ICOR injector. Now, I had to look up the actual definition of ICOR because I'm like, it, we all say it, but we don't necessarily understand what it truly means. Okay. And, and ICOR is basically the fetid water matter from a, from a corpse creature. That is not quite the exact description of it. Um, can find out more online but it's <laughs> it's it's not a it's not sort of like an acidic thing that i was thinking it was going to be yeah it is literally it is the the fluid from a creature yeah that's that's kind of proper bio warfare that is isn't it like we're yeah. going to inject you with this dead remain just gump and you're going to get poisoned yeah. by it and it's going to kill you but slowly yeah. and painfully of course, because pain is, is what they do. Um, the twin-linked uh, splinter cannon on the tail can be replaced with a, a stinger pod, which inflicts great pain. Uh, twin-linked haywire blasters for that anti-tank goodness. Uh, twin-linked heat lances, again, for that nice close-up anti-tank uh, goodness. Uh, and also a twin-linked liquefier guns, you know, extra acid spray. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of variants. Uh, the chain ghoul, which is a clanking 
Talos, favoured by the prophets of flesh. So like that and, one's all about slicing and dicing. Indeed. And then the Scrivener uh, is a drill-legged Talos used by uh, used as guards for the Ever Spiral Coven. Ooh. It's interesting to see the difference in uh, the original Talos paint engine model and the current one, which oh, I'll okay. go I will go to in more detail later. Cool. Spoiler. Yeah, I can't remember the uh, original one. I Spoiler. only think of the plastic kit that you get now. Mm. So you can build either one, can't you? Because you're about to do the other engine. Indeed. You can build one, 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 either a Talos paint engine or the Kronos. The Kronos Parasite engine, indeed. So, second up is the Kronos Parasite engine. Um, they are another semi-sentient combination of machine and organic parts. Uh, they are formed from a strange blend of science and alchemy. I knew I'd get that in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> this, this then creates a feedback loop of negative energy, which the Kronos uses to drain not only the physical constituents of their victim, but also its life essence, leaving nothing more than an aged, shriveled husk. Ooh. So it, that's yeah, literally, it goes up to me. Just goes, yep, I'm gonna have all of that. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, what's the? Um, I'm sure it's been in so many different type, like horror movies, that kind of thing. Uh, it makes me think of I'm a Doctor Who geek, so it makes me think of the Plasmavore uh, from one of the episodes that like sucks. It's a it's disguised an old lady human. And it has right. a straw, and it sticks it into the neck, and literally drinks all of the juices out of the humans, and they just end up as like a ossified husk, like a mummy kind of thing. Mm. Interesting. Um, it does this by either focusing its attention on its victim, or ensnaring them with its metal tentacles that trail from the lower part of its body. So that's what the tentacles are for. It, it floats. It, they're not the um, the main force of motivation. Um, yeah, it's got anti-gravitic motors of some description within the body to keep it afloat. Oh. Um, so once the uh, Kronos has gathered the essence of constituents, um, that can then be used by the homunculi to bolster their vitality and those around them. Um, it's magnified within the shiny carapace and then projected from the resonator veins on the top in pulsing waves to uh, the Drakari nearby. Ah. I'm, going to, I'm going to use the proper technical term for them rather than yes. calling them Keldar. Um, the homunculi have also been known to wipe out entire species for their genocidal research purposes to discover the effects that different harvested, different harvested souls have on their creations. Wipe <laughs> them out. Or indeed, do it. Do it. Uh, the Kronos parasite engines can be armed with a spirit probe, which is like a a massive straw that they can drink the life force and yes, indeed, from the victim once they're ensnared by the tentacles. They can also be armed with a spirit vortex that hurls out negative energy over a vast range 
or even those that are trying to keep their distance from the cross can be drained. Ooh. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, the engines are cool. I quite like them. I think they're my favourite units. I'm still not sure. Yeah, well, you're Mr. Gunline. Exactly. <laughs> I am Mr. Gunline. <laughs> you, you had options, though, to put, like, heat lances, haywire, like, liquefier guns. You could make one quite shooty at the mm. Talos. Indeed. So, yeah, Talos is more your thing than Kronos, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I'm next. I'm going into the vehicles that the Coven have access to. Or should I say the kind of the ground? They all hover, but the ground vehicles? Um, well, I think Sam then is going to go into the planes. Oh, I've not been recording this entire time. Really? No, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I was just ready to be like, oh, oh well. Sorry, guys. No episode. <laughs> two seconds, two seconds. So now we're going to do the uh, hovering vehicles of the covens um, that are accessible by other cabals and witch cults as well. Um, so they're quite well known. Uh, the first is the Raider. The Raiders are the main transports of the Dark Elder. Um, and Raiders are very fast, but very lightly armoured. So they can be quite vulnerable to even those who are not primarily tank hunters. Um, they use advanced anti-grav technology powered by compact turbo engines to move swiftly across the battlefield. They commonly use to rush the enemy or to capture territory and are relatively versatile. They're also equipped with aether sails or ether sails uh, to harness the energies flowing from the warpway, uh, warpway, the webway portal uh, from which they descend. Um, once enemy forces have been vanquished, it is common for the last survivors to be chained or impaled to the raiders. Those Dark Elder who have died in the raid are also carried back to Komarar in a bloody heap aboard the raiders. Um, they're very kind of quick to use and also quick to dispose of, the raiders. They have like vast quantities of them. Um, so you'll see lots of covens and cabals and everything coming out of webways, vast amount of raiders getting to where they need to get, jump out, murder some stuff, chuck it in the back and go home again. <laughs> uh, very hit and run, very Dark Elder, that's how they operate. Um, and then you get the Venom. Uh, the Venom is a fast and agile anti-grav vehicle with small transport capacity. Um, in size and nimbleness, it is comparable to the Viper used by the Elder Craft Worlds or the Sky Chariot of the ancient Eldar Empire. Going, if you want to go way back, that is. The Venom is preferred by the Dark Elder over other transports for its small size but great maneuverability. As it is the largest and most populous transport that enemy soldiers will target first, such as raiders. Uh, many Dark Elder commanders will also choose to enter battle upon the small Venom instead. Um, the vehicle's handling is so sensitive to the commands of its pilot that in, it can weave its way through unharmed uh, storm of incoming fire, using its holographic flicker field to further confuse the enemy. Um, I love the Venom model. It's really cool. Um, there's like a variant for the Harlequins as well, I believe. Um, and yeah, just the idea of like having your character with a couple of bodyguard jumping out and causing mayhem or all these small kind of multi-small units popping out, causing havoc in uh, tandem uh, is a really cool image uh, of the Dark Elder fighting for me. Am, do you want to take us into the skies? I like how I always get the flyers. Yeah, it just 
I feel like I've, that I've way. been typecasted. <laughs> that I'm awesome. You're the flyboy. Flyboy. Uh, anyway, first up, Razorwing Jet Fighter. Uh, the Razorwing is a supersonic flyer. It's actually named after the winged life form of the Cyrus subsector Deathworlds. Good little fun fact for you. The Razorwing has an impressive weaponry layout uh, for a vehicle of its size, typically being armed with uh, twin-linked splinter rifles, twin, uh, two wing-mounted dark lances, and four missiles. The Razorwing pilots are highly skilled at high-speed combat, generally having come from the ranks of the most elite uh, Reva jet bike riders. Like a nice little step up, isn't it? Um, going over the missile types, uh, the Razorwing can be equipped with one of several types of missile. Actually, in-game now, it can take all of them and it just chooses which one to fire. Oh, really? Um, good, good to know. Uh, so first up is the Monoscythe missile, uh, designed to release a wave of energy at head height upon impact, decapitating nearby foes. Just lopping, off, lopping off people's heads. Yeah. Uh, necrotoxin missiles. Fitted with deadly neuropoisons, it fires shards of toxic shrapnel when it detonates, killing and pinning the enemy. Uh, Shatterfield missiles has two separate detonation chambers. The first one sucks away all the warmth, turning foes into ice-like statues. And then the second one sends out a powerful force that blows the brittle enemy to pieces. Awesome. Ooh. Uh, next That's up, my favourite one. Next up, we have the Void Raven, Void Raven Bomber. Though considered by the Dark Elder to be the ultimate in heavy weapon deployment, the Void Raven Bomber is an extremely agile aircraft capable of outmaneuvering Imperial aircraft with ease. In addition, Void Ravens are equipped with a sonic dampening system, making them virtually silent to unsuspecting victims below. Where it differs from the Razor Wing is each Void Raven carries a single Void Mine which introduces dark light into real space uh, in a uh, catastrophic implosion that leaves nothing but an enormous hemispheric crater in its wake. It is for this reason that Void Ravens are one of the most feared weapons in the Dark Elder arsenal. Um, The Void Raven can be equipped with all of the the other missiles, but also an implosion missile, uh, which is a large missile, that causes the enemy hit by the explosion to instantly implode and collapse on into themselves. Just collapse. collapse, uh, Leaving nothing except charred remains. Basically, they just implode, which is quite cool. Crispy. Crispy shredded beef. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Neil is going to talk to us about the homunculi overview and the disciplines and factions. Indeed. So... Matt's given us a brief uh, overview of the, the homunculi as they are. Uh, I'm just going to have a quick chat with you about um, a bit more detail and some of the uh, covens that are around. So, homunculi are masters of their art, torture. They will inflict pain upon those to create a chorus of screaming agony taking delight in the aspects of discomfort their blades create upon their victims. They also create grotesque biological, mechanical creations to aid, do their bidding, 
as Matt mentioned earlier, uh, the homunculi are formed into covens, a number of which are known by name currently, with the most notable currently being the Prophets of Flesh, due to their dastardly alliance with the somewhat naive Tau Empire. <laughs> uh, the first homunculi were originally the masters of the ancient Eldar Empire, so it's their fault that Slanesh was created. Kind of, yeah. Their wanton excess was where Slanesh was born out of. So, um, I've got a long list of names of different covens. Uh, we've got the Altered, the Black Descent, the Coven of the uh, the Coven of Twelve, Coven of the Thirteen Scars, the Dark Creed, the Ebon Sting, the Ever Spiral, the Hex, the Prophets of Flesh, the Coven of the Crawling Dark, the Nemesines, the Black Cornucopians, the Nardists, or the Nard even the phoenix the scarlet epicureans the apparitions the Vilethi, and the repugnomancers <laughs> that's a great they, one <laughs> they, there's some fantastic names in here and they've all got different histories different backgrounds of what they uh prefer what they what they tend to do. Um, that's the list of the uh, most known covens. Uh, we're going to have a mention of our favourites, our particular ones that have stood out to us. Uh, Matt, do you want to start us off? So I've chosen two uh, homunculi covens. Um, the first one being the Ebon Sting. Uh, the Ebon Sting is renowned for its exceptionally well-made Talos pain engines. Um, innovation is key to the Coven's artisans, and their respect is given only to those who can combine art with efficiency to create the ultimate war machine. Uh, yet it is for their forcibly administered poisons that the Coven is truly feared. The weapons of their Talos are coated in the Ebon Sting's signature elixir, a black toxin de uh, derived from the rendered flesh of a worm-like Nyctoviamid. What? The <laughs> had to read that again. The uh, Nyctovamid. Um, it's like a worm-type creature on Comora, I believe. Um, the moment it is introduced to the victim's body, the toxin begins to replicate, manifesting dark and leprous blotches. Eyes harden into sightless orbs, and skin stiffens into black chitin. Uh, soon the victim has swollen and solidified into a shuddering chrysalis, uh, and this is taken back to the, with utmost care to the, adorn the coven's galleries. Inside the agonised host, um, a new clutch of uh, nicked overmids grows, chewing through flesh and bone to finally burst out in a geezer of stinking liquid that draws a ripple of polite applause from its audience. Right, geezer. Yeah, that's very grim, that one. Indeed. Uh, is it geezer yeah. or is it geyser? What? Is it geezer or is it geyser? Uh, it's geyser, in my opinion. Geezer? Yeah. Sorry, uh, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. My page jumped up for some reason to like six rather than like 18 or wherever we were at. Uh, where are we at? There we are. Uh, my second one was the Coven of the 13 Scars. Uh, this coven is notable for its Tower of Flesh, uh, the coven's main stronghold in Comorah. 
It's a living organism made from the flesh of those who have defied the 13 scars. It is said that Fabius Bile tortured under the dark arts of the flesh in the tower, and the coven later battled Bile after he attempted to pass on what he had learned from them. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's kind of intrigue and um, battling with Fabius Bile, so it felt like they should be included. What about you, Sam? Who did you go for? Uh, I went with the Coven of the Twelve. Very, in my opinion, Halloweeny. Uh, so the Coven the of the Twelve, of the, ring. <laughs> uh, the Coven of the Twelve, is a conclave of group, uh, conclave or group uh, of several homunculi, eleven in fact, uh, each of whom consider themselves the foremost practitioner of the dark arts. Membership of the Coven is restricted to just eleven individuals at any time, and the twelfth spot is left open for Urin Rakarth, should he ever, desi- uh, ever desire to accept the coven's invitation. Urin Rakarth is the feared master of the homunculi sect, the lord of the, prof- uh, the prophets of the flesh coven. Uh, Urin, is an ancient- Urin is ancient enough to have witnessed the fall of the elder. Urin is a depraved genius in the fields of bodily manipulation, anatomical sculpture, and his skills as a flesh crafter are legendary. Through the many millennia of his existence, he has developed a uniquely expansive knowledge of pain and torture. Although he once enjoyed a senior position in Comoros in intrigues, Urin has long since transcended such squabbles entirely. Now he only exists to reveal uh, to revel in depravity. Uh, but back to the the Covenant Twelve. Since homo- uh, since homunculi have a habit of overcoming death, the only way. Uh, that an aspirant can join uh, the Twelve is to dispose of the current incumbent in a manner uh, so thorough that even a master homunculus cannot undo it. So I've got wow. three examples of how they've achieved this. So you've got Shegmeth Crow. Uh, they were pushed into a mirror dimension. The size of a coffin was uh, the size of, of, of the coffin was too small for the frame. So he was pushed into a mirror dimension. The mirror dimension was too small for him to be able to survive. So then he basically just ceased to exist without any way of getting him out. Which I think is amazing. Uh, You've got Cabrus Zulfa was posed an impossible riddle that with each wrong answer turned more of his body into bone until finally there was nothing more than a statue. (laughs) So there's no physical way of, of, of... it revive, it reviving him because his body doesn't exist anymore. I like that one. And then finally, Zacrodivia was rendered into a sentient soup using acids from captured tyranids and then, in, uh, and then was eaten by his peers at a banquet. <laughs> so you're in all these stomachs. You're not getting all of him back. Yeah. And he'll be <laughs> digested and, and whatnot. So... Yeah, I like those. I think they're, they're three great ways of permanently killing people. Uh, now now you've got to try and think of how you would do it. How I'd get rid of you two? Yeah, well, one of us. Yeah. But I'm, I, I am the podcast, so... <laughs> I am the podcast! <laughs> okay, how would we get rid of Sam? 
Well, there are many, many, many ways. And because Sam is not knowledgeable in the art of resurrection, I think we will succeed in many of them. That's true. You don't know that. That's true. I could be millennia old. I could be a vampire. It would explain your like. But then at that point, but then at that point, we could just expose you to sunlight. You know, no, 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 because vampires can go in in the the daywalker. I'm a daywalker. That's the thing. Anyway, backed on to the coven of the twelve. So uh, this uh, a warped arms race consumes the coven of the twelve. Their quest to stay one step ahead of each other ensures that homunculi bear the deadliest devices their arcane science can yield. These tools of atrocity feature strongly in the arsenals of the Coven during their real space raids. Uh, So you've got flesh gauntlets, electro-corrosive whips, null rods, mind phase gauntlets, and even stranger weapons. Many of the Coven's members are scarlet epicureans. Their taste for the inventive fatalities so all-consuming they seek to experience them in person. Many of the racks in the service of the Twelve are flayed of their skin, their nerves left raw so they can better appreciate the full spectrum of sensation. Uh, and their raiding territory where you could find them hanging out is the Ghoul Stars. So avoid there at all costs. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Neil, hmm. you, have, you have one? I have one indeed. Uh, the Prophets has, of Flesh. He has the one, you may say. Ah, yeah, indeed. The Prophets of Flesh. They enjoy the flavour of Urian Rakarth himself. So many aspirants seek their employer that each of the prophets presides over thousands of racks. Upon induction into the coven, each rack's limbs will be, cons- will be extensively branded, tattooed or altered according to his new master's whim. Should he, be imp- should he impress his superiors with inventive acts of sadism the racks will have one of his marked appendages cut off and replaced with a bare limb taken from the prophet's flesh libraries those favored few who make it to the lesser ranks of these homunculi will be entirely free of blemish cool so it's like a rite of passage it's like if you yeah, if you do I'm... well you get a new limb and it will be completely free of slave markings yeah that is interesting that's a really cool uh, hobby opportunity as well Mm. though they have become convinced of their own purity the opposite is true for in climbing the highest status the aspirants will have stained his soul Uh, many of the prophets of flesh dabble in soothsaying despite the prohibition of psychic activity that pervades Komara. They seek to learn the truths of the universe, not through the shaman's techniques of reading entrails, but by interpreting interpreting the effects of the atrocities they wreak. <laughs> so kind of watching how these like intestines squirm and choosing to work out what that means for their future. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a gruesome one, this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. I think Sam's going to round us out on equipment uh, for the homunculi coven, the kind of special ones, shall we say. Oh. And then we're going to lead into on the tabletop after that. Okay. So, unique equipment. We have Archangel of Pain. 
uh, an archangel of pain is created by sealing the essence of a demon within a cask, which is then covered with runes that is so painful to the demon. This act drives the demon wild with agony. When the entity is released, it appears as a winged, blinding figure and then returns to the warp. However, in that time, it unleashes a scream that will incapacitate any enemy. Mm. Pretty, pretty special. We next have the casket of flen- uh, of flensing. Flensing is a word. Flensing. Okay. When the casket is opened, it releases bound spirits which fly towards the homunculus's foe, stripping their target of, uh, target's head of flesh and then returning the clean skull to their master. <laughs> wow! Wow! We then, have, we then have the crucible of malediction. A crucible of malediction is created using a process which involves the torture of captured psychers. Once used, these spirits are released and any psychers within the vicinity can be driven insane or even killed by the psychic wave. Pretty fun. We have the dark gate. A dark gate opens a portal to one of the forbidden zones of the webway. They can be thrown at the enemy, dragging them into, into the grasp of foul creatures that inhabit these zones. Orb of Despair. The Orb of Despair is a black sphere containing bound souls. The orb can be thrown at an enemy, sending out shockwaves of dark power. Like catch. A soul <laughs> trap. grenade. Electric <laughs> grenade, yeah. Uh, a soul trap is a device used to capture the soul of a vanquished foe. They vary in appearance and size, usually seen as a pyramid prism, but sometimes as rune skulls as well. Soul traps empower their owner with the energies of their enemies, often making them vastly stronger and more powerful. Soul traps are occasionally built into the suits of armor. Um, so Archon Valusian Sithkrak of the Cabal of the Black Heart made one of these, for example. Next up, the Shatter Shard. The Shatter Shard were once part of the interdimensional portal known as the Mirror of Planes. The shards have been weaponized by Vorsh so that they can catch an enemy reflection. When the sh- uh, shatter shard is broken, the target is shattered into pieces as well. Next up, uh, Vexter Mask. A Vexter Mask uh, allows its wearer to confuse his or her foes in close combat by projecting distracting imagery. The mask itself often takes the form of a delicate uh, rune adorns skin of skin and bone, and it makes the pro- uh, it, and it can project images of the viewer's trusted friend, lover, or beloved leader to distract them at a critical moment. Uh, See, all of those are very. Of, uh, I was going to say all of those are very uh, situational, but you have like just them tagged around you, and you throw them when you want them, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think they're maybe they're a little bit rarer than that. I don't know. I don't know if like every homunculi's got three or four of these to hand. But yeah, they are certainly cool. The uh, the Vexator mask I was going to say just makes me think of Mysterio. Me and Jenny recently watched the uh, newest Spider Man. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, just the projections and images and stuff just made me think of uh, Mysterio. But Ooh. yeah, slightly off piste, but it's what I thought of. Cool. Uh, well, thanks for that, Sam. Uh, we're going to jump into On the Tabletops. This is a kind of semi-new, I think, by now, um, mini-segment within the spotlight. 
where if we're covering something that we can talk about representing on the tabletop, be it terrain-wise or in-game with rules, uh, looking at wider lists or just looking at individual units, um, we just explore that for a little bit. And this time round, we're looking at individual units. So we've each taken a unit of choice that you can take within a coven. And we're going to talk briefly about modeling, painting, and gaming with that unit. Now, none of us are Dark Elder players. Um, so that's worth saying. This is all kind of basic level stuff and what we would do rather than this is what you should do. Um, but yeah, just thought it'd be fun to talk about these units and how you can represent them on the tabletop. Um, yeah, maybe some some brief chatting about painting them and some of the challenges and cool things you could do, like those um, slave scars that the Prophets of the Flesh have, um, for example. Um, and yeah, we're just going to kind of go through our choices. So I chose the homunculi himself, uh, the kind of leader. I like having a really standout character that looks the part and that has all the best weaponry and uh, yeah, is that real characterful unit that leads your army. I've always been that kind of way inclined. Uh, so the homunculi, there's some great looking models from GW. They have great homunculi kits. Well, I remember when they redid them all and they brought out Raycarth and I think there's two other homunculi kits that look slightly different and they, they're really cool. You could leave them as is, just buy them up, paint them and go for it. Uh, you also can obviously convert the, the weaponry and the arms and the appendages using plastic um, Dark Elder bits to give him the exact weaponry. Uh, for example, my one, I'm using a whip as his weapon um, in game. So I'd, I'd want to find a whip. I think the Witch Cult has a really good whip in that kit. Now, if you're building a wider Dark Elder force or you already have those bits lying around, that's perfect. Just lop off the hand that's carrying the kind of normal blade of a homunculi add the whip hand and you're away. Easy kit bash. Um, for me, though, a very, very new model, uh, Dr. Arachnos from Forge World. I believe he's for Necromunda, possibly. Um, he is uh, a human character, but he's got like a... a um, what do you call him? He's got one of those kind of um, masquerade masks with the really long nose um, that you see medics in like Assassin's Creed. Um, what one is it? Uh, Ezio. Uh, that one. Third one? Um, the, the doctors have the kind of long nose black mask. Oh, don't they wear it in, um, was it the Black Plague? Oh, there's yes. something about them, yes. isn't it? Um, anyway, carry on. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure the model went up on pre-order today on Forge World. It's like that new. Um, but yeah, he looks perfect to be a homunculi. Um, he's quite understated and small in frame, but looks quite insidious and... Uh, like you can imagine a kind of evil genius behind the mask. And he has uh, appendages coming out everywhere that you could easily, you know, put the right weaponry on and you're away. So that's a new model that I would probably use as my homunculus if I was starting this. Um, uh, homunculi coven as an actual list. Um, there's also loads of things you can kitbash for homunculus. You know, just thinking of Dark Elder bits that I've already mentioned. But also Gene Steeler cult bits I think would work really well. Some of the kind of uh, mutations and arms and stuff would work really well as adding them into the um, uh, homunculus as like bone spurs and things would be really cool. Um, but yeah, that's in terms of modeling, there's not much that you need to do, but you could go crazy if you wanted to. Um, secondly, painting. Obviously, you have your, own, your chosen armor color. Um, and I would just go for the classic Raycarth flesh, not with padded witch flesh. 
you know, a few washes on there, maybe some purples to really darken it um, down. Uh, so it looks kind of uh, sunken skin. Um, also using like purples on the veins and things on the model to make it look quite sickly. You could even, if you really wanted to, if they have like exposed eyes and mouth, they're not behind a mask. You could put a bit of uh, Nurgle's rot in the corners. Like they're kind of a bit sick and a bit um, poisonous. I think would work really well. Just like less is more, but it would look great. And obviously then splatter them with um, Blood for the Blood God just for good measure because they look cool, right? <laughs> um, yeah, again, very simple. You know, it's a character. You want it to stand out. You could go crazy on it, depending on where you want to get to. But it'd actually be quite a simple model to to uh, make pop using those details of poisons and the vials and liquids and blood for the Blood God. I imagine it's in that weathering kind of final stages that the model would really come alive. And lastly, gaming. Um, from the little that I know about homunculi on the tabletop, uh, they work best as a kind of buffer um, and can do some damage in the right situations, kind of like the, a lot of the equipment that Sam mentioned. When they can take those things, they can use them. It just needs to be against the right opponent. Um, he increases your coven unit's toughness by one within six inches, um, which makes grotesques all but immune to small arms fire, which is generally quite nice. Um, and it's what I would do. I'd run him with a couple of grotesques as kind of bodyguards. Um, I, I would give my one an electro-corrosive whip, which is great for character hunting. Um, just don't send him after any vehicles because he hasn't got the strength. But I suppose if you've got the grotesques there, they could probably do that for you. Uh, and I would always take the Nightmare Doll, which is an a, additional bit of equipment that allows their, their basically their feel-no-pain, in brackets, um, roll, whatever they call it now in ninth edition, um, to a 4-plus rather than a 5-plus, which makes him just that more survivable. Um, but yeah, that's my homunculus in a, in a nutshell, really. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Um, what about the homunculi? Yeah, or anything that I missed, or or anything that you would like to add? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I like the little doll thing. Not being particularly knowledgeable about it. It's hard, right? It's quite a niche, like like the like the elder. I think this isn't a race that you can just pick up and just play. You, you almost, like for me, I wouldn't want to just pick them up and play. I'd want to read the books and understand the units and what and how they fight mm. and why they fight like that, like. This is definitely an army that has a lot of potential fluff backgrounds and 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 then that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, like I I, yeah, I think yeah. it's 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 they're quite exciting. I quite like like them. The idea of like there's so much background in their units. Like if anything, I'd say there's more background in in the units that we've covered than Space Marines. Yeah, in general, I would I would agree with you. I think yeah. the 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 key thing, just thinking about it, is using that law to then be shown on your models. Mm. So like if if like I like the Ebon Sting who make a load of Talos engines. If I was doing them, I would you know obviously make sure I had those engines in there. Blah blah blah. But they're really good with that black toxin. Yeah. So then if my homunculus had like on his model or a liquefier gun with a syringe in it or whatever, um, I'd probably make sure I was painting like a gloss black toxin in that because that's something that's buried in the law. Yeah. And for someone that knows it, they'd see that and go, yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. someone that didn't would just go, well, hopefully it's a good paint job and they'd appreciate it anyway. But mm. I think, yeah, you can really 
the modeling and the painting can really come into its own following yeah. the law and that specific coven if you were going down that route yeah and um, i think that the units like the racks and the grotesques like they're never always going to be the same so i think yeah. it allows you to to really be creative into how you're modeling them how you're making them and actually gives you that extra depth right you could make your your dark elder force be really unique um my only criticism yeah. of dark elder is i haven't seen a single person that plays them that hasn't drew blood on the models <laughs> they're very spiky yeah. which unit did you go with neil uh, i went with the talos pain engine in the end oh. any, um, any reason or uh, generally as we mentioned earlier because i am the shooty guy yeah and dark elder don't really fit my play style mm. okay um so yeah, I, modeling wise, it would have to be like the standard, standard build with the longest ranged weapon I could get on it. Oh, for the tail, yeah. For the tail, and then I think it would have to be chain flails on one arm, and then a big sharp blade on the other one. Nice. Um, just so you got a bit of a a variety of look, rather than having two big blades. Or a a chain flower and then a uh the injector, the icor injector mm. um guns. Um painting wise, I think uh, all of these kind of models present an interesting challenge really with regards to sort of making things stand out and getting that contrast going between the the pale, potentially pale flesh and uh, the difference of the armor color. Uh, so I'd probably stick with that pale, sickly looking flesh color just to get you that sort of that pallid skin tone. And then instead of going for the black armor, maybe go for like a dark blue, like a really dark blue mm. um, or a very, very dark green, maybe just to really... Um, have that quite stark contrast between the light skin and then the dark armor. Yeah, no, I get that. That's the, how I've done my um, Tyranids, actually. I basically use the Dark Elder color scheme. You go dark green and very pale um, mm. innards, chichin, whatever you want to call it. Fighting. Um, <laughs> and then for like little bits of detail, again, pick off from the the, the armor color but have it a slightly brighter hue maybe just just so it's got it's still within the the confines of the palette of colors that i've picked and not going sort of well it's got blue armor it's got pallid skin i'm going to go for a, a bright pink or a bright red or a bright orange keep it within that kind of blue spectrum maybe or okay. the green spectrum just so you're not because you're not trying to draw or I wouldn't be trying to draw the eye to these individual parts, but I'd want them to be a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Like what like thinking of like vials of liquid and things yeah. like that that a lot of them have. You try and keep them in that blue hue, per blue purples, rather than yeah. like bright green or yeah. Yeah. Yellow. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd want them yeah to be sort of in there rather than sort of standing out predominantly yeah. so yeah that's really but, interesting because i've never thought about it that way i think a lot of the time whenever i have those kind of units like apothecaries i tend to go oh what's going to make them stand out 
But actually, you make a lot of sense. I've been doing a lot of research on things like this. <laughs> um, but also, I'm going to avoid painting gold completely and stick oh, yeah. to those dark metallics. And then we'll have bright silver bits for the edges of the blades, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah, I think the one the one uh, bonus of these kind of uh, models is that where the flesh meets the uh, metals, mm -hmm. that kind of is protruding and implanted and growing around it and that kind of like messiness. So actually painting, you can get away with a lot of that by going, okay, cool, well, I'm just going to add the core or I'm going to add some blood or I'm going to add detailing that allows me to mix those where they join. Yeah, you could you could you could add a little bit of um, sort of like a, a maybe a potentially red hue in there, mm. just to highlight that there is some form of uh, inflammation or yeah, soreness soreness yeah. to the the um, connection. Yeah, reds and purple washes would be great on Paris yeah. flesh. Uh, again, around. going with going with the purple. Again, that would tie in with the dark blue. Yeah, this, this kind of thing. So you're getting it, Matt. It's all good. Yeah, it's like the the problem is is although I'm not massively sold in terms of like oh Dark Elder's my thing, like um, if I was going to do an army, it would be the Coven's because I love the kind of mutations and the ability to make each model its own. Mm. Um, but yeah, so and, and I quite like doing that kind of uh, damaged pale flesh from doing my Night Lords. Yeah. So yeah, I can, I can see that quite easily because I've already kind of done it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Gaming wise, um, I think I would use uh, this in conjunction with close combat troops. So maybe have like a, a grotesque leading the charge, followed up by some incubi armed with massive swords, and then you'd have the Talos following up behind, having softened up the target initially with some splinter cannon fire, maybe. And use it in some synergistic way. Using it like, uh, what's the uh, Hoover that just drives around your room? Oh, a um, a Roomba. A Roomba, yeah. Just be it's basically the Dark Elder, a Roomba, just driving by, picking off the things that are already kind of hurt or running away, and just going mine, mine, mine. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so I went so with I went with, uh, of course, the flyer, the Razorwing. Of course, of course, so. You did. I looking at them, they cost about 170 points by default. Um, and then you have access to all the types of missiles, which you can fire one each turn. Um, what I didn't know is all of Jakari's heavy weapons turn into assault weapons when they're mounted on vehicles. So nice. it's pretty fun. Um, it has a move of between 20 and 72 inches. The Razorwing comes equipped with the Disintegrator Cannons for ruining the day of any bike squad. Um, but it can opt, opt for Dark Lances, which is their version of uh, Las Cannons, effectively, um, to go after vehicles and characters. Um, and it comes with a twin splinter rifle that you can upgrade to make a splinter cannon for 15 points. Um, you can link it with other kind of cabals and stuff to give them like pretty intense saves and, and, and whatnot. Uh, I built mine for 185 points and I equipped it with uh, disintegrated cannons, which is 50 points, um, uh, razor wing missiles, and then gave it a night, and it has a night shield. 
So the the missiles, the mono scythe one is assault D6, strength six, uh, damage two, it's a blast. Uh, the necrotoxin and shatter, uh, sorry, ne- necrotoxins and the uh, splinter cannons are poison weapons. Um, and uh, the nex- ne- necrotoxin ones, assault assault 3d3, um, every time it attacks uh, against a unit with the vehicle or titanic keyword, it wounds the target on a 2+, which is quite cool. Like that one's quite well, quite good. It, obviously, it's it's um, it's damage one and just it's automatically on a two. So the number of hits is relatively low. But all the missiles are kind of like that. I mean, you, they're all blast and stuff. So in the new rules, it's going to be on a D six, three D six, I think when it when it's blast. Um. Anyway, don't really know much about ninth. I won't. I won't try and pretend that I know much about ninth. <laughs> um. But I like the fact that it's it's super quick. Tw- minimum 20 inch range seven up to 72 so you can really do some some fast moving mm. um but yeah i i really like it in terms of painting i'd probably try and go like cla- well part of me would want the classic like green color that a lot of the elder yeah, yeah, yeah. dark elder are painted in but then other than that mm-hmm. I'd, I'd quite like to do because of the shield um because of the shield and uh they're obviously quite fast fighters i wouldn't mind trying to paint the bottom of the model in like a reflective kind of like a chromey color so that is oh sorry you broke up what'd you say matt i just said that would be cool yeah so then it just looks like it's almost not there um type type when it's from the ground up and and kind of have that kind of camouflage would be quite cool um Mm. to represent the field and stuff and there's some really cool chromes out there like really really deep chrome um, yeah. so that'd be quite cool I think I'd, I'd like to do a flyer like jet black like kind of a matte black kind of blend in with the night sky kind of vibe but I've seen lots of them that are like yeah that green and they've got like almost tribal swirls and dark elder runes like painted on the wings and stuff yeah. I think actually a really understated like you know yeah like a reflective underneath and a, a dark top so they can you know like almost like a stealth fighter right they're, they're moving really quickly and they're they're hard to pick up by any kind of signaling or um, uh, scopes that are looking for them. Yeah. Just get in, blow stuff up, get out. Like, I think that would be a really cool paint scheme. Um, it'd just be tying it in with the rest of the force. Yeah, um, that's the difficulty, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose you'd just use like an armor color as an accent, right? Like, you know, if you were doing a dark blue, like take Neil's example, like you just use that as your edge highlighting on the wings and stuff. So yeah. it's still tying it in, but it is still that black most um is the color you're getting with a little bit of a blue hue yeah that would work yeah no cool um well yeah i hope you enjoyed the uh, homunculus coven um it was quite cool i learned uh lots of new things as well as just fun to talk about a race that i don't think actually we talk about a lot no um, i think it's probably because none of us play it the only bit that play it is what tom there's a few actually i think like tom chris and simon all have little homunculus covens we just don't see them they're like always background projects yeah um but uh but yeah you know i think they're really cool they've got that deep lore uh about them they're very important to the race as well um which is cool and i think they've got like some amazing modeling opportunities which for me like i love that building phase so the idea of converting every grotesque to look different and stuff like that that really appeals 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Cool. Um, cool. Well, yeah, we haven't got a final segment for you guys. Apologies again for that. Uh, but we'll take a quick break and come back with our kind of usual round out. And that'll be the, uh, the month of October in the bag. Want to stroke Sam's ego so I don't have to as much? Then please leave the Adepsis Terror podcast an iTunes review if that's the platform in which you listen to them on. The reviews do help them to at least attempt to do better and it does make their little faces light up when they see the five stars. So do the right thing and leave them a review. Thank you. Am I done? No. Well, no final segment. So this is the final, final end segment? Yeah, so our, our, our goodbyes, adieus. Adieu, adieu, for a month. adieu to you and you. I can't believe for a month. For it's a only month. a month. It's only a month. Yeah, and there's still you know another another hangout in the in the calendar, and there's our, we should always probably mention our um, Thursday evening hangouts that happen. Um, Mike Parker and uh, James Gibb has kind of become his sidekick, I guess. Uh, always on uh, every week on a Thursday around similar time, is it? Did it start at eight? Eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the link is always in our um, community safe room on Facebook. So mm-hmm. you can always jump on every Thursday. There's something going on in the community. Um, thanks to Mike for keeping that going. It's been really good for those few that have jumped in and not made Sunday hangouts um, that we do once a month. So, yeah, I think that's a really cool thing that we should probably push some more. Yep. Um. But yeah, so uh, what else? Will, well, what else do we do in this bit? Oh, my mind's gone blank. So the poll um, reminder what? is a good one. Go on, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, the poll for this month is already on the hangout. So some people have already been answering, which is really cool. Does yeah. the constant release schedule of Warhammer 40k in Ninth Edition so far affect you in a positive or negative way concerning your personal hobby? Please add why in the comments. Uh, the options are positively, negatively, and does not really impact your own hobby, personal hobby. So quite a good, quite a good poll. Looking forward to that. The answers are coming in, which is nice. Yeah, that's cool. It's good. It's good. Um, next month is the thing we don't talk about. <laughs> the thirty k book club. Uh, it scars. Oh yes, yes Sam, is, Sam is leading us on that one. Cannot wait. Can he wait? Yeah. I think I've got it ready to go. I just need to start it. Have you got uh, the book? I have, or are you I have read it previously, so I will. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've read it previously. I just um, I'm going to audible it this time around. I think. Skim read through it and try and pick out the bits that I like. Yeah. Good, do it. We'll add you in. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll try and get a date. Hopefully, where Neil can be here as well, like we we've been trying to do recent months. No promises, but it's always great when there's three of us. It just feels feels full. It feels like how it should be. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's no, been good to have you around, mate. Um, lastly, I suppose. Um, oh well, sorry. Second from last, the next hangout date, November 29th. Uh, that's the next one. Sam will be hosting. Uh, me and Neil may make an appearance. We may not. Not sure, but uh, Neil. Uh, Neil. Sam will definitely be there um, mm-hmm. hosting. Go join him for three hours of fun, hangout, hobby or not, and just, yeah, have a good time. Um, you can find the link and the event on our community safe room. 
Um, so yeah, come and join us and love to see those numbers go up and more people joining in with that positive energy that goes round in that group. Um, yeah. Uh, what, can, what, what are we expecting to achieve over the next month of hobby, gentlemen? Um, don't before, know. before we leave. I, I know I am going to be ridiculously busy at work. I've already been told that I am going to have no time. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally been planned out for me. So I'll see what I can do, but I'm not going to promise anything. I'm going to work on my land speeders. I'm going to get them mm-hmm. painted um, and maybe pick up some more land speeders. And then it's just buying jet bikes. And some more assault marines. And only five more assault marines. I might even have the yeah. bits to make those. Why, why is it five? Because I have You've got 40, 40 you need... and I need oh, yeah, 35. Uh, 45, 45 sorry yeah. yeah 45 have you have you got jump packs for your apothecaries or are you gonna do those out of... so so no um i was thinking about buying the sanguinary guard sets oh okay yeah yeah that's and five guys isn't it? five guys there and then use those to make my um apothecaries that i need mm. left and also my um my own guy my own um what's his name amit oh your creator creator yeah 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 Yeah. uh i could what i could do which might be cool maybe not work i could make the sergeant change the sergeants for the uh, sergeants in the um assault squads and put them in sanguine guard armor because they're in artificer armor that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, you could do that and then just use the old sergeant models to make your apothecaries. Yeah, that would work. Um, yeah, Take off some arms. Yeah, that would look kind of cool. I'd hmm. be, I'd be inter- into that. Yeah, and the the sanguinary guard kit, you get a, a, a couple, you get a power fist, like a special one, or at least maybe yeah. two. Um, yeah, I think sure, you get two different uh, designed ones. Yeah, I'm sure I might have one as well. So if I can have another one, then I could very easily make it, make them into the sergeants. That'd be fine. Yeah, that would be really cool. Like, it gives you the special-looking sergeants. Um, you get the sergeant models to work as your apothecaries with jump packs, mm-hmm. which is perfect. And then, yeah, just five more assault marines to finish the, the last unit. Then it, all, it nice. means, all I need to do is take off, the, take off the, the power fist from the sergeants and put an apothecarium on there. Yeah, which you'd be doing anyway, right? So yeah. it's not really a big deal. Sick. Easy, so, yeah, quite, oh, man. quite easy, man. That's 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 probably what I would do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorted. Nice. Um, for me, I'm going to build the last predator that I need to build. Um, I am going to finish my Night Lord Assault Squad because, damn it, I need to finish them. Um, the hilarious thing is, is once I finish them, that's ten of them done, and then I need to. On my new list, it's looking like I'm going to bring a 15-man squad, similar to Sam's build. Um, so I'll need to get another five to actually really finish that squad. But in its current list, it's 10. So <laughs> I'm going to keep with that for now. Um, uh, then I don't know. what well, I, I need to put a load of primer down, really. Like I've got loads of solar auxilia stuff ready to go, and the predators will now be ready to go. Um so yeah, it's probably getting a black down on all of the uh, the tanks and the solar auxilia, and then 
if I get that far and I'm really motivated, I may start putting the metallic blues, turbo dual blues down. But uh, if they're black, then they're ready for that next stage. So that's probably where I'm going to try and focus my painting on just getting those undercoats down. Yes, hopefully November is a bit um, October has been. Cool. That's fun. Um, well, on that note, let's round out. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, again, sorry there's not a third segment or final segment, um, but life. So that's fine. <laughs> um, and you don't pay us anyway, so bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> Till next time. I've been Sam. I've been Matt. And I have been Neil. And this has been the Adeptus Terror podcast. See you soon, guys. Thanks for listening to another successfully recorded episode of the Adeptus Terror podcast. Join the conversation on the Adeptus Terror podcast community safe room on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at the Adeptus Terror podcast or email at the Adeptus Terror podcast at gmail.com if you just want to chat to Matt. Thanks again. Equipped with void lances and missiles, the Void Raven is suited, uh, well suited for ground attack mission missile. Yeah, yeah. The Void Raven, the Void Raven, the Void Raven is well suited for ground attack missiles. Damn it! The Void Raven, <laughs> the Void Raven, the Void Raven. <laughs> <laughs>